Counties Radio. It's three minutes past six. It's Thursday, I believe. It's the 28th of September. We will get confirmation of that as soon as the results come back from the laboratory. Plenty on the show this morning. And as always, your input is not only requested, it's required. Uh, I'll give out the uh, contact details in a little bit. But on the show this morning, we're looking ahead to some of the biggest changes ever in the history of the NHS. How will they affect you? A report shows there were nearly 8,500 roadside casualties in the three counties last year. How would you make the roads safer? Here's my suggestion. You know those roadside tributes people put up with the flowers and the teddy bears? Surely we should ban those. They cause more accidents, don't they? And women, you can't have kids and a career. That's according to one successful businesswoman. 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give uh, me an email, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, as we mentioned, uh, the NHS is uh, facing some of the biggest reforms ever. It's about to go through some of the biggest changes in its history. The Health and Social Care Act is set to revolutionise the way hospitals, clinics and surgeries are run. But I'll be honest, I can't get my head around it. I've got no idea what it means or how it's going to affect us. So, we've got uh, our BBC uh, online health reporter, Nick Triggle, to join us now and explain it. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Nick, exactly what are these changes to the NHS? Because I've been struggling to get my head around it. I, I don't think you're the only one. They are That's good. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly uh, complicated. The NHS was complicated before, and uh, and this is uh, changing all the structures in the NHS. It's, it's been described as perhaps the biggest structural reform in its history. The head of the health service said they're so the changes are so big you could actually see them from space but but what does it mean well what we're seeing is two tiers of nhs management scrapped gps given more control over how local budgets are spent and at the same time we're going to see greater involvement from the from the private sector which has obviously been controversial and, and the government believes this will all help make the health service more efficient and more responsive to to kind of what patients need because gps obviously uh, are, are close to patients and and kind of know what sort of conditions they're coming in with and and perhaps are better placed to to to, to help to sort of channel the money into the correct places um now these kick in next april um and patients come next april probably won't see any difference in in their health service but what will be the true test of these is over a longer period because the nhs is facing incredibly challenging few years and unless the the health service and the government get these reforms right health care in the future could suffer but uh, how does this affect me as a patient you say i won't notice anything no you, you, i don't think i don't think anyone would walk in on april the first into their local gp surgery or into their local hospital and and see any change but what is happening in the health service it's facing i, I suppose three challenges an aging population rising uh, costs of new technology and, and and drugs and and lifestyle factors such as obesity which are increasing demands and increasing costs and and the nhs budget is is not really growing at all over the next few years so if that continues without the nhs getting more productive services 
will have to be have to be cut and this is where people might see well in a number of years maybe uh, parts of their local hospital services being closed down or fewer gps or fewer uh, uh, district nurses so it's it's really more of a long-term thing at the moment mm. the health service is doing pretty well but if it doesn't get its house in order over the next few years you will see fewer uh, services and perhaps drops in standards. Nick, how is it that a change this big uh, to the NHS is being sh- shrouded in confusion and secrecy? Because I've, I've heard it said that Andrew Lansley is the only person who knows exactly what's going on, and he's not there anymore. Uh, yes, of course he he lost uh, he lost his job, uh, replaced by Jeremy Hunt uh, a month or so ago. Um, I, one of the and this this was part of the controversy over the reforms was that people were just not expecting the health service. Uh, the government, uh, the, the, the Tories, when they were in opposition, didn't talk openly about uh, um, reforming the health service. There were plans in place, but people didn't quite realise how big the the changes were. Um, and because um, I suppose, like any public sector, the structures don't matter uh, so much. Uh, people people were not too concerned until uh, we saw a lot of opposition from uh, health unions, uh, academics and, and, and other people working in the health service. Nick, thank you very much. You've, you've cleared up some of the confusion. There's still plenty floating around and we'll tack- tackle it throughout the rest of the show this morning. If you work in the NHS, as Nick Triggle, by the way, our uh, BBC Online health reporter, if you work in the NHS, have you got your head around these changes? How is it going to affect you? 08459 455 555. And how is it going to affect me as a patient? That's what I'm mainly concerned about. Is my doctor's going to close? Am I going to walk in and see a big sign saying Dr. Smith is sponsored by Kentucky Fried Chicken? Is that how it works? I don't know. A little bit of Blondie. A little bit of Blondie. Oh, here's something we can do. Blondie, uh, uh, what's the lady's name? Deborah Harry, isn't it? Yes, Deborah Harry. Now, she was a fine-looking lady. She was one of my first ever pin-ups. First ever pi- slightly sensual picture on my wall was Deborah Harry. Debra, it was very bizarre. I had Deborah Harry next to uh, one like tiny picture of Deborah Harry and about thirty pictures of Bruce Lee. So there's one really hot girl in a slightly see-through dress and a topless Chinese fella covered in sweat. That was my bedroom. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can let me know. Actually, you can text in. What was your pin-up? Eight one three double three three CR. You see, always thinking. Let me know what your pin-up was, uh, and we'll, I bet there are some odd ones. I bet there are some very odd ones. Uh, we'll be talking later on uh, about roadside safety after the new figures have, have uh, been released. And there's been an increase in the Beds, Hearts and Bucks area uh, in uh, roadside casualties. And, and uh, I'm saying roadside, I mean road as well. And I, I, I'm looking for your ways, your suggestions on how we can... Um, I've just had, had a message from a newsreader, Catherine Boyle, that her, her pin-up was Morton Harkett uh, from AHA, sweating in a vest. Lots of sweat in the 80s. Lot of sweat in the 80s. Who were your pin-ups? 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Uh, looking at ways to make the roads safer. If you've got any tips on how we can do it. The Lib Dems yesterday were suggesting that we reduce the speed limit to 20 miles an hour. Pretty much everywhere. Pretty much everywhere. Put the speed limit down. 20 miles an hour. I don't know if that would work, to be honest. My suggestion... And I mentioned it in the office before the show, and it was met with, oh, you can't say that. It's a bit, but I think you can say it. Is you know those roadside tributes, okay, when someone's had a, a fatal accident and you'll drive past and there'll be lots of flowers tied to a tree, maybe a teddy bear, some pictures, 
We should ban those, shouldn't we? We should ban those. Don't they cause accidents? They cause a distraction, because you're driving along in an area where there's obviously been accidents, potentially a, um, a black spot. You glance at the, the tribute to make out the flowers, and oh, who's that a picture of? Boom, then you hit somebody. So surely we should ban those. And also, let's be honest, no one tends to them. And they can be up there for, for months. They look awful, don't they? And I know, and I, I, I'm trying to be as delicate as I can, because I know that obviously they bring a lot of comfort uh, to people. But really, isn't it time we banned those roadside tributes? It's Thursday, it's the 27th of September. Uh, these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Health and Social Care Act comes into force today, giving GPs responsibility for managing not just the care of the patient, but also the costs incurred. A report on child exploitation in Rochdale, which led to the jailing of nine men earlier this year, has found that police, social workers and prosecutors missed opportunities to stop the abuse. In sport, a young Liverpool team featuring 11 changes from the side that lost against Manchester United at the weekend knocked West Brom out of the League Cup with a 2-1 win last night. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly. And coming up, did you have a good night's sleep? Today, experts are saying insomnia could be a sign of poor mental health. Find out why before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, very sad, we lost Andy Williams. Uh, but I did, and I say this with the greatest of respect, and a lot of people saying this on Twitter, I thought he had passed a long time ago. If I'm completely honest, I was surprised, as I thought he had gone a long time ago. But what a fantastic voice. Let's have a bit of Andy Williams, shall we? This is just superb. Can't take my eyes off of you. Oh, fantastic. It's the deer hunter, wasn't it, that was in? Wasn't that great scene in the deer hunter? I should tell you, dear listener, our texts and emails are not working. The BBC is suffering what I believe is called a meltdown. But don't worry, uh, the boffins in white coats and thick uh, milk bottle glasses are running around with uh, fuses, uh, soldering irons and all kinds of bits and pieces. So, if you want to get in touch this morning, and I urge you to, could you give us a call, please? 08459 455 555. We should ban roadside tributes. And who was your pin-up growing up? For me, Debbie Harry, one tiny one, the rest were Bruce Lee. Catherine Boyle on the news, it was a sweaty Morton Harkett. He's an odd-looking gentleman, isn't he? And I mean that with the greatest of respect. Who was your pin-up? 08459 555. The texts and the emails are not working, so pick up your phone. Come and say hello. Ah, I should say, uh, October the 5th. Beatles Day. Beatles Day, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Beatles Day on BBC Three Counties Radio to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the release of Love Me Do, the first Beatles single from 1963. Uh, If you've got any memories, any stories, just any thoughts about the Beatles, if you could email them. Not now, because the email don't work. (laughs) But store this email address for later on today, 3cr at bbc.co.uk, and send us your Beatles-related memories. I'm going to see the Beach Boys tomorrow night. I'm very excited. It's kind of all the remaining members of the Beach Boys. Um, and then I read this morning that Mike Love, the, the lead singer from the Beach Boys, has sacked the rest of the Beach Boys. He sacked them by issuing a press release saying, yeah, after these dates in London, I won't, won't be working with Brian, David uh, or Al anymore. Well, ha- hang on. And the other Beach Boys are, are going, sorry, uh, what? W- what happened? That's crazy. Mike Love, naughty man. Now, did you have a good night's sleep? I didn't. 
Today, experts are saying insomnia could be a sign of poor mental health. That's according to research by the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. They found that people are misusing sleeping remedies without speaking to a GP or indeed a pharmacist. Neil Patel is a community pharmacist. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Neil, how do you distinguish between a bad night's sleep, which is what I had last night, and something more serious? It's really about the length of time that um, you have a a, a problem with trying to get to sleep. Um, Mm. If it's associated with something that you recognise might have caused a sleep problem, for example, shift work or maybe jet lag, then certainly using a a short-term sleep remedy isn't a problem. Once you get into sleepless nights that are lasting for over a month, then that's more concerning. That's something where we believe it really is important that people ask for advice, because that could be uh, a a sign that there's something underlying that's uh, causing the problem. I haven't slept well for about three years. Neil, should I be worried? Well, continuous sleeplessness is usually associated with an underlying health condition. Um, Only around a fifth of cases are actually due to just not being able to sleep. Um, And that could be a mental health issue, as you said, perhaps depression or anxiety, or even sometimes a physical condition. So it could be something like asthma or even heart conditions. So it's really about making sure that people, if they have a long-term sleep problem, talk to their pharmacists and actually get some proper advice about what might be causing that. How did this survey work? How many people looked at and and kind of what peaks and troughs did you find in the figures? We we asked around a thousand people um, about their attitudes to using sleep products. Uh, And what we we found is, firstly, around about half of of people who use sleep products didn't ask for advice at all. And that that was a concern. And perhaps the most concerning thing for us was that around 30% had used these products for over a month but hadn't consulted anyone. Which products are these, Neil? Sorry, these are the the ones you can buy in a chemist or prescribed ones? That's right. They're the ones that you can buy. Um, they may be uh, from a pharmacy or, or perhaps right. even from a health shop. Yep. So it's not the prescribed um, sleeping tablets yes. that you get from your GP. But again, it's the, the medicines themselves very safe if used appropriately. It's more about trying to find out what is this underlying condition that might be causing the sleep problem and getting some good advice about that rather than just taking the tablets long term and, and not really thinking about the, the, what might be causing the sleeplessness. And what you say mental health problems could be the, the, the cause of this. What kind of problems are we looking at? Um, Well, it could be associated with anxiety um, or possibly depression. Uh, So people who find it difficult to sleep um, may have an underlying uh, mental health issue. Treating that would actually resolve the sleeplessness. So it's actually about getting some proper advice first, making sure that that's treated, rather than perhaps just treating the symptoms, if you like, just um, trying to cope yourself. How well do you sleep, Neil? Um, well, today I slept very well, partly because I knew I'd be on your show this morning. So thank I you. wanted to be fresh. fresh. <laughs> My God bless you for that. No problem. Uh, Neil, thank you very much. Neil Patel there is a community pharmacist. Well, it, it raises the question, how well do you sleep? I know. Uh, I, I would imagine if you're listening to this at 6.26 in the morning, there is a chance that perhaps you didn't sleep too well last night. Is that, is that right? I'm sleeping... I'm, it's week three of uh, me doing this show, and I'm loving every second of it. Every second. The bit I'm struggling with is getting my head around the sleep. Because I'm getting up at four o'clock, boom! I'm up at four, downstairs, cup of coffee. This morning I was watching a bit of Watchdog, because Matt Allwright gets a bottle of wee-wee poured on his head. And we've all wanted to do that to Matt Allwright at some point, haven't we? Well, it happened. So I'm, I'm watching Watchdog at quarter past four. And I'm finding getting up quite easy. It's the rest of the day I'm struggling with. Do I have a doze in the afternoon? Do I just go to bed early? How do, and then the night times, I'm not sleeping very well. I'm kind of awake, I'm a bit anxious. What if I sleep through my alarm? What if, I, what if I, the show is awful? What if, what if this? And, and so I'm constantly waking up in the middle of the night. And I'm, I do have a fear about missing my alarm. 
because boy oh boy, uh, beds, hearts and bucks, wouldn't you be disappointed if I didn't turn in one morning? So I'm, I'm constantly waking up in the night and checking uh, my alarm clock to see what the time it, time it is. Oh, it's half past one. I've got oh, it's quarter to three. That's fine. Oh, it's 20 past three. Now, do I go back to sleep for another 40 minutes or do I might as well get up? I don't know. So I guess what I'm asking, two things here. Firstly, how well do you sleep? If you're a bad sleeper, could you let me know how bad it's got? 08459 455 555. And if you've got any little sleeping tips or remedies or things that you do, hot bath, I've been told, works. <laughs> really? I'm not really a bath man. What other things? L- lavender oil is supposed to help. It smells nice, but really? 08459. Four double five, five double five. I'll remind you that the text and the email are not working at the moment. So don't text in, don't email. We'll let you know when they're they're up and running. How well do you sleep? And have you got any little sleeping tips, sleeping remedies, anything that just might help us get through? And uh, uh, don't, don't phone up and say have a shot of whiskey. I don't drink. People say, oh, have a shot of whiskey. I can't do that. Oh eight four five nine, four double five. 555 is the telephone number. Would love to get your stories uh, about sleeping, uh, how well or how badly do you sleep, and your sleeping remedies. Don't forget, the email and the texts don't work this morning, so give us a call 08459 455 555. If you don't forget, the texts and the emails are not working this morning, so if you want to get in touch, and you will do when we start talking about roadside tributes, and women, you can't have a family and you can't have a successful career at the same time, uh, give us a call 08459 455 555. Now at the time approaching 6 Let's get the latest news and sport with Morton Harkett fan, Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Catherine. That golfer, we should dig out the whole clip of that golfer talking, because I heard it on Five Live this morning. He's, uh, <laughs> he's a plum. He's like, yeah, I don't, like, this guy's, guy's ain't going to get a, a hall pass, and I'm going to beat their brains out. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not here to be liked. I'm going to beat their brains out. He's a golfer. For God's sakes, it's, what it's the, the, the fourth most tedious sport in the world. You can't even call it a sport. It's just rich men walking around in terrible clothes, hitting a ball and then walking a bit more. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. It's the end of the week. Uh, well, plenty coming up in the next half hour, um, including we'll be talking about uh, Delaney Brown, um, hearing more about the uh, failings in the Rochdale uh, sex scandals uh, that's been going on. Uh, and also, if you're a mum, you can't have a career as well. We'll be talking about that uh, in a second. But uh, should I do the front page of the newspapers or should we do mums and careers? Let's do, let's do mums and careers, shall we? Yes. Anyway, I'll tell you why, because there's some good stuff in the papers today. I want to take my time with it, including Kelvin McKenzie wants an apology from the police. What? Anyway. Anybody uh, attempting to balance motherhood and a career should accept that there would be failures. That's according to Christine Lagarde, the head of the International Monetary Fund. The mother of two has warned women who choose a career and raise a family at the same time they will run into trouble. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been speaking with Denai Green from Watford. Denai is the director of the recruitment agency Talent On Board, and she says you can have children and a successful career at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I've done it. I've got four children, two sets of two, really. I've got a 22 and a 21-year-old, and I've got a 10 and a 9-year-old. Same husband all the way through. (laughs) 
um, and I've always had a career. Because some people say you simply can't have both. You've got to make a decision. How have you managed to be so successful both as a parent and in your career? Having the right partner and the right family around you. So it's, it's about you know sharing the burden of having children I suppose well, not that I find them a burden but I've I've just been really lucky work-life balance has always been a, a an easy thing to juggle trusting in, in you know in my husband because my husband works around me I work around him trusting him to just get on with it in the same way I get on with it and not having any conflicts you know just having the right the right goals I suppose together and you seem to be a really positive person as well it's a case of I will make this work instead of having negative thoughts you're going in being positive from the very beginning yeah well I think when we first had our two our two eldest I knew people that had had done sort of role reversals and dad had become the stay-at-home guy and it hadn't worked because as a female they couldn't let go of the, the the running of the home and you know make sure the washing was done and the housework was done whereas my husband and I have never had that conflict we've both shared everything from day one so it's been easy but it is it's about communication and I suppose an unwritten agreement I suppose between the two of you that you can do it it's a great story you seem very pleasant but in business I bet you're hard as nails aren't you I don't know she's worked for me for the last eight years ask her is she hard as nails when it comes to business? <laughs> Poor, no comment. <laughs> well, Claire uh, Blampier is the managing director of the company that... In- get this, how cool is this? That introduced pesto sauce into our supermarkets 20 years ago. Oh, and she's the mother of two from Buckinghamshire. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Did you really introduce pesto to the UK? I did. I love you. But I had to write an article about some nonsense a couple of months ago, and the first paragraph was about how I first tasted pesto when I was 19, and I didn't know what you were supposed to do with it. So what did you do with it? Well, I was at a posh... Fr- we'll go off on a tangent for a second, if you'll indulge me. <laughs> I was at a very posh friend's house, and they said, oh, have you had pesto before? And I went, oh, yeah, loads of times. So I got a tiny, tiny little bit on a teaspoon and put it at the side of the bowl of pasta, <laughs> and I went, no, you do it like this, and she just dumped loads of it all over. Oh. That's the great thing about pesto, you can do anything with it. Claire, thank you very much for enriching all of our lives and making students even more lazy in their cooking skills. (laughs) Uh, Now, when you hear Christine Lagarde saying uh, you can't be a a successful businesswoman and a good mum, does that anger you? Uh, Not anger me, but I think it's a rather sad and disappointing view, actually. I was brought up to to believe that it was possible to do anything by my mother, who balanced family and an important career, too, and she was a brilliant role model for me. Um, You know, it is a a juggling act, but the rewards are fantastic, and I love my job, Um, and for me, I think I'm probably a better mum because I work. I was was, um, talking to my wife about this last night, who uh, works and is a mum, and I was surprised to say, uh, to, to hear her say, well, actually, do you know what, yeah, I think there might be something in this that you kind of you do lose something by not being with the kids all the time don't you i think there are times when you do perhaps feel a bit guilty sometimes you can feel a little bit inadequate but i think you have to balance that with the real highs and sort of the great sense of kind of all-round achievement that you get when you do do a bit of juggling do you wish that you could have spent more time with your kids when no, they were younger? No, I, I'm really <laughs> No, lucky. no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, honestly, I, ha- I have no regrets. Right. I think the children are very proud of me. Um, they're very happy. And now that they're older, they're actually quite supportive. So they, they can cook, they can even clean. So they're very what? independent. 
Well, that's, that's, that's him. My little boy's two and a half. His favourite thing is cleaning the windows. Well, oh, yo, you keep doing that, that, young that man. Last, yeah. Now, you've got a company with 20 employees. Have you introduced any policies that, that, to, to help working mums? Because it can be difficult, can't it? I'm sure it can, yes. I think, um, you know, my employer and my team have always been very supportive of me. We're a, a family-owned and run business that was set up by a woman in Italy 70 years ago, can you believe? So we have very strong family values. So we offer part-time working, flexi-working time time off for dependent care. I think it's really important to try to be supportive in the context of a business environment. Claire, thank you for coming on so early, and thank you for giving us pesto. The greatest pleasure. There you go. Lovely. Claire Blampier, the managing director. She introduced pesto to this country 20 years ago, and she's a mother of two from Buckinghamshire. Fantastic. Well, what do you think? I feel that I'm missing out on uh, uh, something by not being around my kids all the time. I've said to my wife, if she earned enough money, if she earned more money than me, I'd be a stay-at-home dad, without a shadow of a doubt. Would love to. I'd much rather be at home with the boys. Hanging out, playing, watching Postman Power. I'd much rather be doing that than this. If I'm completely honest, of course I would. I'd love to be there for them all the time. Mums, do you feel that your children are suffering because you are working? Can you be successful in business while still being a decent mum? Let's be honest. Something has to go, doesn't it? Something is suffering, whether it's your work because you're a little bit more tired or it's your relationship with your kids because you're not there, you're kind of dropping them off with nannies or they're in nursery when they perhaps it's a little bit too young for them. Let's be honest. If you're a working mum, your kids are missing out on something, aren't they? They're suffering a bit. 08459 455 555. Texts and emails aren't working, so do give us a call. If you're a working mum... Your kids are suffering, aren't they? Percy Sledge, when a man loves a woman. Now, the grandfather of a teenager who was deliberately run down by a car in Luton has called on young people to stop killing each other. Delaney Brown Sr. made the appeal three weeks since his grandson was murdered as he rode his bike along Vincent Road in Leegrave. Speaking at a press conference yesterday afternoon, he asked those involved to come forward, not for the police, but for his family. I want to appeal directly to those people who are involved, they know that they're involved, to come forward. I know this is is a very difficult thing to do, but this will always live within your conscience if you don't. We don't want to see another young person hurt and would hate to see another family go through what we have been experiencing because their son or loved one has been killed. We as a family... We have forgiven those people that we know who are responsible. We understand how things are uh, in life today for young people. As a grandparent, I'm appealing to other grandparents and parents and out there to speak to their young ones, young men, and to show them the right way, the right thing to do. The police are treating this as murder. This is not a traffic a road traffic collision people say they don't want to help the police this isn't about helping them it's about helping us to see justice done and about not another young person being taken out we want to be able to um, stop this postcode nonsense that's going on by meeting parents from marsh farm lucy farm and say to our children we are working together for our young people, so stop killing each other. 
Well, Detective Chief Inspector Steve Collin from the Beds and Hearts Major Crime Unit told our reporter Tony Fisher that Delaney Jr. and the principal suspect were from two separate gangs in Luton. Inquiries are ongoing uh, in relation to identifying all those responsible. I believe the principal suspect is the driver, of course, in bearing in mind what we're dealing with. The important person in the vehicle is undoubtedly the driver. Uh, there will be further arrests being made and that will include uh, the arrest of the driver. Why don't people come forward in this case, do you think? Is it uh, because, as you mentioned, they fear there'll be snitches? I think there's two things. One is that they're a snitch. Uh, that's certainly what some of these uh, young boys have said to me, that there'll be a snitch, and that's obviously a very difficult thing to, to, to do, to give uh, a witness statement. I get that. But uh, the family, uh, as well as the police, wish to resolve this, and uh, I think we need to, uh, to approach these, um, these young, young men uh, we'll keep doing that until we can hopefully get the statements from them. That's Detective Chief Inspector Steve Collin from the Beds and Hearts Major Crime Unit talking to our reporter, Tony Fisher. 6.45, it's Thursday the 27th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Health and Social Care Act comes into force today, giving GPs responsibility for managing not just the care of the patients, but also the costs incurred. A report into the Rochdale child exploitation case, which led to the jailing of nine men earlier this year, has found that police, social workers and prosecutors missed opportunities to stop the abuse. In sport, England's cricketers take on the West Indies in the Super 8 stage of the Men's T20 World Cup later today. Your weather for beds, hearts and bucks, cloudy with patchy rain at first but brightening up this afternoon top temperature is 16 degrees and coming up a report on the sexual exploitation of children in the Rochdale area has listed a number of mistakes made by agencies we'll find out more shortly BBC Three Counties Radio Plenty to talk about this morning, and the, 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 the texts and the emails are down. So may I suggest, if you've never phoned in before this morning is an excellent time to vent your spleen because, mums, if you've got a career, you, you, your kids must be suffering. You can't do both at the same time and uh, succeed as, uh, in both of them. Can you? 08459 455 555. And those roadside tributes, you know, you drive past a traffic light where there's been an accident and there's flowers on it and a teddy bear and, and, and a picture. Really, they don't, they don't help anybody, do they? They don't help anybody. Should we not ban those? They can't be safe. They don't look very good. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Excuse me. Now, a report into the sexual exploitation of children in Rochdale, Greater Manchester, says years of failings allowed the abuse of girls to continue, despite social workers and the police being made aware of the problem. Earlier this year, nine men were found guilty of grooming girls as young as thirteen in the area. Our reporter, Lisa Costello, has got more details. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Ian. Lisa, can you remind us of the background to this story, please? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people remember the court case. Nine Asian men, as you say, were convicted of grooming and sexually abusing young girls four months ago. And the details of what happened when they emerged were, as you might imagine, pretty upsetting. This victim describes what happened to her. It tackles to a flat or a house. Could be anywhere to be Rochdale, Oldham... Bradford and we get there and there could be up to five men there and we go in and I'd basically be told to go into the bedroom and to take my pants off and they'd come in one after the other. 
The nine men were jailed following the court case at Liverpool Crown Court, but of course questions were raised about why it took so long to, to get any convictions. And this report is a serious case review being published by Rochdale Council, uh, and it's one of a series that are expected to look at what went wrong. And what does the report find, Lisa? Well, the report looks at how agencies work together, and in particular it follows uh, the, uh, the fortunes, if you like, of one of the victims uh, named Susie in the report, looking specifically at how services responded or didn't to her needs. Uh, and the report catalogues a list of mistakes by agencies in their responses uh, to her. On several occasions, she spoke to care professionals and the police about the abuse she was suffering over many, many months. Uh, and in fact, she actually gave a detailed complaint complaint to detectives which she later withdrew because she felt she was being threatened and although she stated that she felt she was being threatened uh, no support processes were put in place and, and the matter was never taken any further so uh, that really details a, a catalogue of, of failures that applies to a number of people but looking specifically uh, at one particular victim uh, generally it says there was no escalation of agency concerns and that there wasn't a proper joined up approach to the problem. What recommendations did the report make to try and ensure the same mistakes aren't repeated? Well, this report uh, from the council, as one might expect, says several measures have already been implemented, including more training for staff in agencies and those who work with these young people at risk, uh, that there have been workshops in secondary schools to raise awareness of exploitation. Uh, but really it's saying that there must be a more joined-up approach, and that's the focus of this report. It recommends that there is one point of contact for referrals of this nature in the future, and it also recommends that there are regular multi-agency meetings to share information across services so that these sort of problems can be spotted and dealt with earlier in order to protect those at risk. What reaction has there been? Well, there's been a statement from the Chief Executive of Rochdale Borough Council, Jim Taylor, uh, saying that council services missed opportunities to offer assistance and expressing regret over that and saying that more could and should have been done. Uh, a police statement from the di Divisional Commander for Rochdale says that the report once again highlights the complex nature of child sexual exploitation cases, uh, but it refuses to comment any further because of ongoing inquiries. It has to be said, however, that it's pretty unlikely these admissions of error and expressions of regret will bring any closure to this. We've heard from Richard Scorer, a solicitor who represents one of the victims this morning, and he says he expects there to be further legal action following this publication. There's clear evidence that social services failed to act, failed to intervene when they had this mass of information about this grooming and exploitation of young girls. They failed to act on that information even though they had a responsibility to do that and that's the basis of any legal action that we'll be putting forward. Lisa, thank you very much for that Lisa Costello with uh, the report uh, into the sexual exploitation of children in Rochdale this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio the texts and the emails are down so do give us a call 08459 455 555 if you're a mum you're letting your kids down by having a career 08459 555 555 this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio at 654 it's Thursday the 27th September 08459 455 555 is the phone number and the only way to get in touch at the moment is the emails and the texts are not working so if you want to say something give us a call 
Now, there were nearly 8,500 road casualties in the three counties last year. That's according to a report on road casualties that's out today. 82 people were killed on our roads and 782 seriously injured. Ellen Booth is a senior campaigns officer for the charity break. She joins us now. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Do the local figures for the three counties alarm you? Um, of course, it is alarming. It's it's always alarming whenever we hear figures um, about people being killed and injured on our roads. Um, from Baker's perspective, um, we absolutely believe that every death um, and serious injury on our roads is preventable, um, and it's absolutely vital that the government's doing everything it can um, to continue to reduce these numbers year on year. Um, the impact of, of crashes is enormous. Um, the ripples um, run through our communities and of course there is the cost to local economies as well because each death on our roads um, costs around 1.6 million um, so there is a huge cost to these um, crashes um, and we're so we're saying to the government it's absolutely vital that um, we're looking for very serious action um, to bring these numbers down um, year on year. How can we make the roads safer Ellen? <clears throat> Well, we're, we're saying there are three main things that we'd like the government to do. Um, we're looking for action on young driver crashes in particular, because young drivers um, are subject to the highest risk on our roads. Um, we're also looking for action on drink driving. Um, we're looking for a zero-tolerance approach to drink driving, so a reduction in the drink drive limit, um, and also greater enforcement um, of drink drive laws. Um, and thirdly, we're looking for action on speed management, so um, bringing speeds down in communities, so widespread 20 miles our limits around um, towns and villages, um, but also um, greater enforcement of speed traffic laws as well. Um, so we're looking to bring down um, the, the number of drivers that are speeding at any given time on roads. And these, we believe, are, are the main three points that we can, or the government can be doing to, um, to reduce casualties on our roads. But of course, it's not just about what the government can do, um, it's about what we can all do um, to bring down these figures and to um, reduce the the horrifying toll of, of road crashes on our society we're asking everybody to take the pledge um, the break pledge pledge to drive safely at all times um, and you can find more information about that on our website uh, what's the website ellen it's www.break.org.uk. Now, listen, this morning I've been suggesting that these roadside tributes that pop up when there has been an accident, they're quite dangerous themselves. First of all, the, 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 it's obviously a dangerous place. So to have a distraction there, that can't be a good thing. Should we, should we ban those, Ellen? Um, I would absolutely say no, we absolutely shouldn't ban them for a number of reasons. One, um, evidence doesn't suggest that they're distracting. Um, it might even be that they're a, a very they timely reminder. To, it might even be that they're a very timely reminder that actually this is a place where um, people have died before and um, you need to be extra cautious. Um, and you also have to think about the families involved. Um, now, if someone dies on the road, it might be you said goodbye to them that morning mm. to never see them again, never see the body again. Um, it's very important for that family to understand how that person died and feel a connection yeah. um, with that person. But, uh, but if, by, sorry to interrupt because we're running out of time, but if, if Nana collapsed of a heart attack in Marks and Spencer's, you wouldn't go and put flowers, you know, in the knicker department, would you? It, it seems odd no, to just have I mean, a memorial where about, someone died. The thing about road crashes um, is that they generally affect people who are absolutely... Not you aren't expecting them um, to die. So young people, um, they're often very violent events. Um, you may not get to see the body because the body may be um, quite 
very damaged, so you may not be able to see that body. It's, a, it's very different from um, a nat- natural event. These are unnatural, violent occurrences um, that happen suddenly. So they're incredibly traumatic deaths. Um, and as such, we absolutely need to have um, respect for the grieving process of those families involved. Ellen, thank you very much. Good luck with the campaign. That's Ellen Booth, Senior Campaigns Officer for the Charity Break. Well, what do you think? She thinks that the roadside um, uh, tributes should stay. I disagree. What do you think? And how would you make the roads safer? Seven o'clock. Well, 30 seconds late for the news. I do apologise. Coming up in the next hour, more on the NHS reforms, a little bit of Andy Williams, and mums, you can't have a career and be a good parent. Your call's after this. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. It's BBC Three Counties Radio, four minutes past seven on Thursday, the 27th of September. It was May a little while ago. What on earth has happened? Plenty coming up uh, on the show in the next hour. We're looking at some of the biggest changes ever to happen in the history of the NHS. How will they affect you? A report shows there were nearly 8,500 road casualties in the three counties last year. How would you make the roads safer? And should we get rid of roadside tributes? And women, you can't have kids and a career. That's according to one successful businesswoman. I've, I've just tweeted that. Oh, people are very, very angry. The texts and the emails aren't working at the moment, so if you want to get in touch and have your say, uh, give us a call. 08459... Four double five five double five oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Also, if you can let us know your pin-ups as well. I've already said that mine were uh, a tiny picture of Debbie Harry and about 30 pictures of Bruce Lee. I know it was a weird combination. A very strange room when I was a teenager. Catherine Boyles was a sweaty Morton Harkett in a vest. Who was your, who was your pin-up? 08459 455 555. Now, the NHS is about to go through some of the biggest changes in its history. Most of us use the NHS, so how will it affect us? Apparently, we won't notice anything when the changes happen in April, but they could lead to the loss of some of our GPs and district nurses. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, visited GP Andrew Cox in Hitchin to find out how the changes would affect him. difficulty that GPs are going to find about being both the person who provides services, who's the advocate for the patient, who's the person who wants to get the very best for their patient in every circumstance, which is how I would see myself as a GP, and on the other hand, being the person who's doing the commissioning, but in whatever sense. So I'll both be the poacher and the gamekeeper at the same time. And that's going to, and already has provided, quite a lot of conflicts of interest. If you have someone sitting in front of you who you believe needs an operation at some stage, but you know that there is only a certain limited amount of resource to provide operations within this area at the moment, how do you as the GP decide who gets those operations? In the old days, we had lots of different ways of limiting resources in the health service. We used to have waiting lists, different criteria. And it's becoming much more part of what a GP has to think about. In the old days, I used to make the referral. And to some extent, somebody else used to think about, does this person actually deserve this operation? Are they up for it? It's going to be much more, I think, part of my daily work, thinking about those sorts of things. He doesn't sound very happy. If you're a GP, could you give us a call? And let us know what you think about these changes and how it's going to affect your job and the decisions you have to make. Uh, I would imagine 
From what little I've read and what little I've been able to understand, there's not a lot I've been able to understand about this, but the, the bits I've read that the GPs aren't particularly happy about these changes. Maybe you're a GP and you think it's a good idea. 08459 455 555. Well, Sergey Soin is the chair of the Diabetes UK Voluntary Group in Luton. He lives with type 2 diabetes. And you get up at 5 o'clock every morning, Sergey. What are you doing that for? Well, oh. <laughs> I go on for my walks, I, you know, that kind of thing. I do... I've walked three or four times a week, get up early in the morning and go f- around the block. But it's freezing um, cold now. You know, the, last, the last couple of weeks, it's the yeah. weather's turned, Sajit. Yeah, it's perfect. You <laughs> wrap yourself up and you go and motivate yourself and your day goes very smoothly. Well, good for you. You're, you're, you're a stronger <laughs> man than I am. As a regular NHS user... Do you understand how these reforms are going to affect you? Because I'm struggling to get my head around all of this. Yes, it's a bit difficult at the moment because, you know, I'm trying to read and get my head around it. Mm. And uh, it's very difficult at the moment. And we all possibly would like to know how is it going to affect patients like me or Mm. other people who are diabetes sufferers. Uh, How does it feel knowing that the NHS is going to be shaken up like this and also that there is this confusion? Yes, there is. You know, I mean, I would probably like to see people, I like to know, rather, people with diabetes, like, you know, we Diabetes UK launched a campaign this year about uh, taking care of your feet. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, amputations which have been misdiagnosed, and we don't want this to happen again. Hang on a minute. Feet are being amputated because of diabetes? Yes. How does that happen? Well, this is because, uh, you know, sometimes it happens when uh, your diabetes is out of control and that kind of thing. Give me the... I'm a little bit naive about diabetes. What exactly is type 2 diabetes? Type 2 diabetes is when your body is not producing enough insulin Mm. and uh, you have... Then you go on... on, um, on tablets type 1 diabetes doesn't produce insulin at all and type 2 diabetes doesn't produce effectively doesn't produce p- so does, do you do the injections of the insulin? no at the moment i'm on tablets okay well, that's that, that's some blessing yeah i've been on i've had diabetes for 17 years 17 years and i'm fascinated by diabetes because I, I i know people have it but i don't know a lot about it how did you know that there was something wrong there wasn't something quite right yeah this was uh, early days i mean I, I had the typical symptoms of diabetes when i had to get up early in, uh, every night in the morning uh, sorry i had to wake up three or four times in the night to go f- to the toilet and i was passing a lot of water yeah. and the same thing happened during the day and uh, i had to i was craving for sugary drinks yeah. and uh, my eyes were blurred and my i started losing a lot of weight mm. and that was an indication for me to go to the doctors so how regularly now uh 17 years on do you use your gp do you, do you, are you there very often no, not that often. I don't see my GP that often. I see the practice nurse when I have to go for my tests. Mm. Uh, three months, six months for my normal checkup for my diabetes. And at any point, did your GP have to refer you to the hospital? Uh, I haven't had, for my diabetes, no, I haven't been referred to the hospital as yet. But it, it could happen for some It can sufferers. happen because, you know, diabetes is a progressive condition. And it sounds like that, that more responsibility is going to be put on the GP's shoulders to decide who gets some treatment and who doesn't get some treatment. That's got to be concerning. That's right. It? it is. It is. I mean, especially people who have had uh, who have diabetes for a long time and it's not been uh, for one reason or the other. It's, it's affected other parts of the organ, like, mm. you know, they could be they have neuropathy and all that. And that, if it's uh, left untreated, can be very dangerous. You're, you're an NHS user. How, as I am, how informed are you 
as a patient of these changes? Because I was in hospital uh, a couple of days ago with my little baby, uh, and I was at the doctor's shortly before that, and I was, I've not seen anything there that's been advertising these changes. No, I haven't seen them myself either. I mean, we hear about it, or just go and read on the website. That's all I basically know. The interesting thing about this story is, we, we, we're the BBC, right? We're supposed to know everything. And yesterday when this story came up, and this morning, we were all scratching our heads going... We don't quite get it. We don't. What? What's happening? What are the changes? It's so mysterious and confusing. Do you, you think that finally that there should be uh, that, that more information for patients? There should be more information. Like you know, like us, we should be told, and then can we can pass on the same information to our patients with diabetes who attend our meetings? Because I'm the chairperson, and if somebody comes along and asks me these questions. I don't know anything. You don't know? Yeah. So do you, if, any, if anyone's worried they might have diabetes or has got any questions, how do they get in touch with you and your organisation? Yeah, we've got, we, we, they can get in touch with our care line in um, Diabetes UK offices in London, mm -hmm. and they will pass on the information to us. And they'll just Google that, and it, the, yeah. the, the, the number yeah. will come up. So, thank you so much for thank coming Thank you very in. much. Uh, you go off and have another long walk or something. So, thank you. That's Sajit Soin there, who is uh, the chair of the Diabetes UK Voluntary Group uh, in Luton. Well, you, you, you've heard this. Everyone's slightly scratching their heads. If someone can phone up... And explain these changes to me. That would be wonderful. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you're a GP, I'd love I'd love to speak to you. I know that there may be some rules that perhaps slightly prohibit you from uh, getting in touch, but do give us a call. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Don't forget that the uh, the, the, the texts. Uh, oh, it's Aladdin today. Aladdin is the story in the Guardian on CD today. My little boy is loving these. Cracking Aladdin and other stories read by Tamsin Gregg, who's brilliant, and the overused Stephen Mangan, a, a man I, I just don't get. Uh, the, the text and the emails are down. So 08459 455 555 is the telephone number uh, if you want to give us a call. Uh, Nick Coffer is on today between 12 and 3. Always a cracking listen. Uh, and he's got James Ogley from Luton, uh, who describes himself as husband, dad, clergy, geek, and is passionate about getting people back to church. And at one, uh, you can catch up with lively librarian uh, Adam Lancaster. If, you, if you've not been to a library for a while, boy, oh boy, have they changed. You're allowed to make as much noise in there as you want now. I took my little boy, he loves it. Because, not because of the books, but because they've got toys and sing-alongs and you can run around shouting. I remember a bit, uh, the, when I used to live in Slough, on the Britwell Estate, we went to w Wentworth Shops, and there was a tiny library there, and at the age of five, I got kicked out of the library and made to stand outside for being too noisy. Yeah. And then I got told off because there was like a thing you would tie the dogs to, and I was just smacking that against the wall. And the librarian came out, came out and gave me a right royal rollicking. But you can do anything in libraries now. Anything goes. <laughs> It's 7.15, it's Thursday the 27th September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Senior NHS administrators are warning that patients will feel the impact of constraints on its budget in England over the next few years. A report on the sexual exploitation of children in Rochdale says years of failures by the police and social services allowed the abuse to continue even after it was reported by victims. In sport, ahead of the Ryder Cup starting tomorrow, the USA's Brand Schnedeker has underlined just how competitive he is by saying he always aims to beat his opponent's brains in. What a nice fellow. 
Full weather bulletin shortly with Steve. And coming up, figures already released show there were nearly 8,500 casualties in the three counties last year. Are our roads too dangerous? And what can be done to improve road safety? We'll talk about this and more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now is an excellent time to call. We've got a few lines free. 08459 455 555. Throwing loads of things out. Uh, but, but one little uh, passing comment was, who are your pin-ups? Uh, mine was a tiny picture of Debbie Harry and about 30 pictures of a sweaty Chinese man, Bruce Lee, all over my wall. For a, for a period, I had uh, posters on my ceiling and, uh, until my mum told me off. Uh, Catherine Boyle, who reads the news, hers was uh, Morton Harkett in a vest. Uh, and Jess has called in. Good morning, Jess. Hello. You're from Heath and Rick, Reach. Uh, your, your pin-ups, who were they? Yeah, Mary Decker and Jennifer Rush. Right. Who, who was Mary Decker? Was she the runner? That's right. Yeah, she was two-time world champion in 83. She was involved in an unfortunate incident at the following year's Olympics. But then, she, she got knocked yeah, down by um, uh, the Zola late... Bud. Zola Bud, the lady with no yeah. shoes. Yes, yeah. yes. Very controversial. Yeah. Very. And yeah. Jennifer Rush was the power of love woman. She was, yeah. She well, was, the, with the greatest respect, and I'm, I'm an odd-looking gentleman, she was an odd-looking lady, wasn't she? Uh, yeah, so, so some say, but I thought she was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> other, other lads in 85 lusted after Madonna, <laughs> it was only Jennifer for me. <laughs> oh, well done for you! She did have yeah. slightly equine features, didn't she? The, the horse's mouth. I guess so. Never thought about it. Okay, well there you go. And so, so all the other lads in your school, they had um, the Madonna and the other pinups of the day, and, yeah. and you went for uh, uh, Jennifer Rush and Mary Decker. Were you teased yeah. at all for these, Jess? Uh, yeah, just a, 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 li- a little about Mary. <laughs> no, no one minded about Jennifer. <laughs> okay, well there we go. Well, uh, uh, Jess, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. There we go. It's Jess from Heath and Reach. Mary Decker and Jennifer Rush. She was odd-looking, Jennifer Rush. And I say that, listen, I, I'm not in any way being rude. I'm being descriptive. I'm an odd-looking fellow. I will, uh, will admit that very freely. Who were your pin-ups? There are some odd ones out there. 08459 555. Now, as we mentioned, there were nearly 8,500 road casualties in the three counties last year. That's according to a report on road casualties that's out today. 82 people were killed on our roads and 782 seriously injured. Well, Justin Dealey is out and about in the three counties this morning looking into this. Good morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. What have you got for us today? Well, I'm at the Watling Street Cafe, which, which is on the A5. Hang on, hang on a second. We've, you, yeah. quite often, <laughs> you quite often go to cafe. We went to our yes. little local cafe after the show the other mm. morning, and the lady said, oh, yeah, that Justin Dealey was in this morning. <laughs> well, did you always just go and hang out in cafes for these hey, reports? Hey, listen, you've got to be realistic. As a reporter who works on The Breakfast Show, if you're looking for a reaction, you've got to go Good to lad. the places where you know people are going to be. Carry on. So I'm at the, uh, the Watling Street Transport Cafe on the A5 in Hertfordshire, and for these drivers behind me, Ian, well, road safety is a conversation they have on a regular basis, and a few moments ago, I spoke to Lou. Now, Lou, you're not happy about cyclists on the road. You think they are dangerous. You're telling me that they even hang on to the side of your lorry, which is incredible. But, but also, you think that some motorway slip roads are too short. You think that's dangerous, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think there's, there's um, the majority of slip roads are, are long enough, but there, there is a few that the motorists just can't get up to speed enough. Enough. I mean. Uh, as a lorry driver, like, we're limited to 56 miles an hour, and if a car has not got enough slipway to 
reach up to 56 miles an hour, that is definitely a short slipway. Yeah. So they should, you know, there's certain ones that should be lengthened. Interesting what you say. Clearly, if they were improved, that that would be a good thing. And we're also talking this morning about roadside tributes and whether they're dangerous. Should they be banned? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I've, I've seen some hanging on top of uh, bridges. Uh, how securely they're tied there, I don't know. But there is always a possibility they could fall down on top of the the motorway, although they're just floral tributes. I mean, well, that's one thing, but what about people being distracted by them? So if you're going down an A road and you see a floral tribute, is that a distraction to you as a driver? I would say so, because some of them are quite elaborate, you know, like, like crosses and flowers and everything, you know, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, like, people have got to grieve, but I mean, like, in such a way, it could could be quite dangerous to road users. Interesting words there from Lou. Lou's been a professional driver for 30 years, and he's saying that clearly slip roads is, is a major issue, but incredibly there. And he showed me his truck. He said, you won't believe this. He said, when I'm at traffic lights, some cyclists, literally, they hang on yeah. to his truck for balance. Can you believe that? I've seen incredible. It. I tell you what I saw um, about six months ago. Uh, it was late at night. Uh, it was a long road. There were two lads on roller skates hanging on to the back of a bus. <laughs> and well. they, Honestly, and it was going, for the, it was going the bus driver didn't know it was there, so he was doing like 30 miles an hour. And these two lads, and you kind of think, well, to be honest, if you're going to do that, you, you, anything happens, you sort of deserve it if you're going to yeah. act like an idiot. I mean, I have to say, I mean, the, the conversation you've told me, the conversation Lou's told me, I've never seen that before. I was just absolutely amazed by that. I really was. Justin, thank you very much. I'll have an egg roll with some ketchup in, please. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, Councillor Dave Taylor is the portfolio holder for road safety in Luton. He joins me now. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Figures for Luton show that 46 people seriously injured and three people killed. It's too many, isn't it? It, it is, it is, although it is a reduction from last year, uh, where if you put it in a percentage-wise, there's a 21% reduction, so that's something to be pleased about, although the three fatalities is three fatalities too many. Cuts in funding mean that the Bedfordshire and Luton Casualty Reduction Partnership has been scaled back. I, is that an issue? It, it, it is an issue, it is an issue, but we've got to continue with the work that we're doing, with the resources that we've got, and we do work in conjunction with the police. Um, and the casualty reduction program um, is, is certainly visible in Luton um, with the, the speed camera van that you see there to, mm. reduce the, uh, to reduce speeding in the town. Now, as a council, you hold responsibility for road safety. Uh, what initiatives are being done to get the numbers down even more? Uh, well, um, in urban areas, uh, which you probably where Luton is a very densely populated urban area, um, we have reduced the speed limit in, uh, in 78 roads in the last two years. That's gone down from 30 to 20 mile an hour zones, uh, and we'll be increasing that number in the, over the next few years. Um, which and has, has that had an effect, Dave? Because I know the Lib Dems have been calling for more roads to be lowered to 20 miles an hour. D- has that helped? Yes, yes, it does. Mm. It does, certainly, um, because uh, lots, of, lots of the casualties um, that we have in the town um, are not so serious, um, just minor collisions, but unfortunately some of them are um, actually heavier, heavier collisions, larger collisions, uh, which we can do something about, and it's certainly popular with the residents in the town, and we do get requests from all over the town for reductions in speed limits from 30 to 20. What do you think about these roadside tributes? We've, we heard from a driver there who thinks they could possibly cause accidents. I think they're a huge distraction, and on a th- slightly flippant note, they don't look very nice. Uh, can we get rid of those? I, I, I've seen a few around the town, and, and um, I, I think that it, 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 they're poignant. Um, they, they, they look quite sad to me. 
Um, it's obviously uh, friends and relatives have, have, have placed something there by the side of the road. I don't have a problem with them. Uh, what about when they, they go all brown and mouldy? Because no one cleans them up, do they? Well, that, well that's right. That's right. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see it as a problem. I mean, if people want to leave tributes to loved ones that have been killed or seriously injured on the road, then, then I don't personally have a problem with that. OK, Dave. Now, with Bedfordshire's police, they need to save £14 million over the next five years. 100 fewer police officers, 100 fewer police officers potentially being agreed tomorrow. This can't be good for tackling road accidents and drink drivers and speeding, can it? No, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, if we, you know, trying to reduce crime, um, we're trying to reduce road accidents, um, we do need some kind of police presence on the roads um, as, as, you know, as a deterrent um, for people to, 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 to stop speeding. So what are we going to do? 100 fewer police? That's, that's pretty big, isn't it? It, it? it is. It is. It's quite a large amount. Uh, and and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't understand the logic of it. Mm. I mean, if you're trying to reduce crime, you're trying to reduce road accidents, you're trying to reduce speeding, um, then you certainly need more of a police presence rather than less. £14 million pounds needed to be saved. Is there anywhere else that we could save that money? I mean, the, the busway uh, is co- costing £90 million. Pounds. D- d- does that seem... The, the relevant surely people would want money spent on police more than busways yeah i mean that's that's most of that has come for, as a direct grant from the government 83 million um and it's a, you know, a major public transport scheme um so there wouldn't be any savings there because um well there's a six million pound shortfall isn't there well well, well there is you know we, we will cover that um but the, you know i mean the, the problem is could uh, the police be losing out because of that shortfall no no. Okay. No, the police are funded directly um, from the government, as this busway is funded directly from the government. So I think we've got to put pressure on the government, and we will, um, to increase resources uh, for, for all projects, and especially um, road safety. Uh, Councillor Dave Taylor, thank you very much. Portfolio holder for road safety in Luton. Uh, 08459 455 555. Good news. The texts are back on. I've been led to believe. So you can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We've got time to have a quick look at the papers. Look, it's nearly half past seven and we've not done anything in the papers. The front pages, The Independent. Sorry? No, I'm proud of our record, says Clegg. Uh, then there's an amazing picture of a, a Greek policeman uh, under attack from petrol bombs. And this is just the most amazing thing. Kelvin McKenzie. I'm owed an apology over Hillsborough. Yeah, Kelvin McKenzie... I'm owed an apology over Hillsborough. Wowzers. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Andy Williams on the front page. And expect to be shot if you burgle gun owners. Judges warning as he jails injured thieves. The Guardian. Syria atrocities are a stain on UN, says Cameron. PM attacks United Nations failure to stand up to Assad's regime of terror. And the plan for Trident. Lock the warheads in the cupboard. The government's review of the future of the Trident submarine nuclear missile system is likely to suggest a significant downgrading. Yeah, of course. Let's give it rid of that save a load of money uh, the times cameron blames russia and china for atro- atrocities again about syria oh the daily express it's aging this time they've cured aging this time new pill will reverse aging drug keeps you healthy and strong in old age says experts and then there's a picture of jk rowling showing quite a little bit of cleavage uh, the daily mirror tattoo creepy obsessed teacher had lyrics from sick nirvana song inked only weeks ago this is uh, jeremy forrest who has uh, supposedly ran off uh, with megan stammers not breaking the law in france the age of consent in france is 15 years 15 those naughty french
Uh, the Sun. Th- this is a front page I never thought we'd see. Tate and Childs. Adrian Childs and Catherine Tate is an item. Yeah, I know. There's pictures in there of them snogging. Ah! And the Daily Mail. A licence to shoot burglars. It's the chance you take, Judge tells two raiders who are fired on by homeowner at Isolated Cottage. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight. Thank you very much, Catherine. About that cow over there. Oh, <laughs> I do apologise. That was an inappropriate clip to play. I wasn't in any way implying that Catherine Boyle was a cow at all. <laughs> what I meant to press was this. This is oh, Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We've both had trouble there. Uh, with uh, our fingers pressing the wrong buttons. I do apologise. We'll get sort that out in a second. Uh, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty coming up in the next half hour. Lots. Uh, handshakes. We will gather. Insomnia. And as you heard then, cows. Yeah, I know. It's going to be busy. But before that, we've been talking about how to make the road safer. My suggestion is get rid of those roadside tributes that pop up. Don't think they help anybody. At least, you, you wouldn't put a tribute... You know, would you put a tribute if your granddad died in his armchair? You put some flowers and, and a balloon and a teddy bear and a cross. You wouldn't do it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. The texts is working now. Eight one three double three. Start your text. Three CR. Bill is from Hemel Hempstead. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Ian. You're always so enthusiastic, Bill. I certainly am. I'm You're... always. Because the thing is, what I always look at. I'm alive, and that's the thing. <laughs> it's almost like Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. I'm alive, and that's the thing. Bill, that's what, the thing. what have you got for us this morning? Oh, what? Uh, well, I'm looking at, uh, like you say, speed. Yes. Now, I, I've, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm always a bit of a funny one of it. Why can't I well. put pl- the sleeping policeman everywhere in the world? Right, two things... So that, that we can all slow down. Bill, two things. First of all, the kids today, they won't know that a sleeping policeman is what oh. uh, r- what speed bumps used to be called. They always That's call, right. They don't know That's that. Right. But hang no. on, you think they should be put everywhere in the world? Yes. Are you mental? No. How would that work? Just slow down. But no, what the thing is, the thing I find about these sleeping policemen or speed bumps is that, that people, including me at times, they, they slow down for the bumps, then they speed up, then they break, then they slow down, then they speed up, and it, it, surely that's even more dangerous. No, just slow down altogether. Yeah, you, you're right. We do... every, every couple of yards, put a sleeping policeman. Now, the other one as well is about tributes. Uh, now, I get annoyed when you they, they pop up sort of anywhere, yeah. they get these great big sheets, you see them yeah. on, a, on a roundabout or on a side somewhere just before you come up to a junction. You see great big sheets saying happy birthday oh. or congratulations. And then what it is... On a sheet? It's when some... Yeah, you know one of these big sheets you put on your bed? And you've got a, a, I've not seen a sheet on a roundabout saying happy birthday. Oh, you must have seen something like that anywhere. The, 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 your viewers will probably agree with me. You see them... And you read it, before you get anywhere, you're bumped into somebody. <laughs> Isn't there a distress? I've not seen the sheets, but I have seen big signs and balloons saying, Steve's 40th this way. Happy yeah, birthday, Steve. Yeah. But they all do like ninjas somewhere. They, they top up at all sorts of different places. 
You never see them put them up, but you always see them right Hang in the on. mornings, whatever. Nin- ninjas put sheets up with Happy Birthday no, Steve. No, you know what I mean. They creep somewhere at night. They're all in dark <laughs> black, and they, they put them up on the roundabouts. And oh, stuff. Bill, you, you've gone. You, you're alive, and that's the thing. And you've I got, know. Yes, and you've gone off on many tangents. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Bill. Thank you very oh, much. Great, lovely to hear. I love your program. Thank you very much. There we go. That's Bill from Hemel Hempstead. The texts aren't working. Deary, deary me. Your licence fee is paying for the texts not to be working. I hope you know. So if you want to get in touch this morning, do give us a call. 08459 455 555. I've not seen the big sheets saying happy birthday. But yes, I've seen balloons and so Anything like... There is too much furniture. It's called road furniture. There is too much road furniture on our streets. You drive down a street. There's bus stops, there's road signs, there's speeding signs, there's coming up, there's Danny Dyer's doing a DJ set back to the 90s. There's all these things that distract you. In a couple of streets in London outside the Science Museum they've taken away all of the road furniture so there's no signs no distractions it's wonderful now uh, we have mentioned earlier on in the week uh, about the uh, massive wooden cow that was up for sale in Milton Keynes about that cow over there I'm just wondering whether you'd fancy buying it I wouldn't really have anywhere to put it I wish them luck in selling it can't imagine what you would do with it well it does have shelves in it all right, it's a bookcase. No, it doesn't fit into my home decor. You know this cow, do you? Well, I've seen it before, yes. What do you think of it? Oh, I think it's quite sweet. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Do you think it's sweet enough to buy because it's up for sale? Oh, no, I didn't. No, no, no. I don't think it's... Uh, I wouldn't buy it. No. Well, it's been in the Waterstones window in, in the shopping centre for the last year, but now someone has bought it. Who would do such a thing? Why? Only Danielle Huron. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Ian. You're from Woburn. You're the proud owner of this new cow. Have you got it in your hands yet? I haven't, unfortunately, no. We've had a, a couple of hiccups with them um, organising a time that's convenient for everybody, but I'm hoping to get it in the next week or so. OK. Can I ask you, Danielle, why on earth did you buy a giant wooden cow? <laughs> a lot of people are asking me I that. I thought they might enough. do. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I've always had, like, a, a love for cows. I know that makes it sound <laughs> a little bit strange. There we go, yes. Um, and my partner bought me one of the little MK cows about a year ago. Lovely. And um, uh, you get emails from the MK cow group, and I then found out that it was up for sale. Mm. And I thought, I- I'll have that. And, and sure enough, I did. I won it on Tuesday. So very, very pleased. But you're, do, I don't, do you live with your partner um no oh, no, oh well there you go i was about to say what on earth do they <laughs> think that uh, having a tiny little mk cow is one thing but having this huge giant wooden thing in the house that, that that's gonna be um tough isn't it uh yes we were not too sure what we're gonna do with it as of yet right. i mean we, we were talking originally of perhaps um perhaps putting in the garden and you know some pots on it or finding somewhere suitable in the house for it but then i vaguely remember it being very very big yeah Um, it's very very big danielle (laughs) it's not going to fit in the house um but luckily my sister um owns the village store in woburn and uh, there's been a lot of uh village talk about it moving into the village store Ah. and it can be used as 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 some sort of shelving unit in there so hopefully it will still be available for everyone to cast their eyes off and and fall in love with this very cute wooden cow. Oh, that'll be nice. That'll be nice. I, I have to ask the question, how much did you pay for it? I, I actually think I paid a very good price for it. I was very pleased. I got it for £155. Oh, that's not bad. 
thought you were going to say something like 2000 or something. Oh, that's, no. that's pretty good. Exactly. I was very, very pleased with that price. So it's a one-off, and, um, yeah, it's a, certainly a talking point for, for years to come. Danielle, when you get the car, would you get, take a picture of you standing next to it, and we can put it on our <laughs> Facebook page, please? Absolutely, and no problem. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's Danielle Hurran, who is the proud owner of the giant wooden cow that's been in the window of Waterstones for the last year. She bought it. Well done. Congratulations. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. There is a picture of the cow up on the Facebook page now, but I want one with Danielle. I want Danielle next to it, giving it the thumbs up or whatever you do. Uh, but if you want to see it sans Danielle, then facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, 08459 uh, is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Texts and emails are down, so uh, do give us a call if you want to get in touch. Today, experts are suggest- suggesting insomnia could be a sign of poor mental health. That's according to research by the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. They say people are misusing sleeping remedies without speaking to a GP or indeed a pharmacist. Well, Zoe Burton from Silso has lived with a sleep disorder for most of her life. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning. What, how long have you struggled to sleep? Forever. Um, basically, um, as far back as I can remember. Um, it started when I was a child and it hasn't desisted throughout my life. Um, so what is nighttime like for you then? Is it quite stressful knowing it's going to be unpleasant? I think that, you know, I, it used to be um, until I went to a clinic and I uh, finally found out what was going on um, when I went to bed. Um, I was diagnosed with a sleepwalking disorder. Um, mm. Restless leg syndrome and various other things. The restless leg—that's where you, you, your leg just kind of twitches. Yes. So I, I get—I've got that. Not not particularly excessive, but I have that sometimes in bed. Apparently, it does cause the arousals at times, Ooh. and um, yeah, basically they um, said to me that they could give me um, some. Sorry, my child's screaming, couldn't... Zoe, listen, you go off and look after your child. I'll speak to Marjorie. We'll come back to you in a second. All right, thank you. You let us know when you're back. Well done. That was Zoe Zoe Burton. Bad sleeper, good parent. You see? That's more important. Well done, Zoe. We'll we'll come back to you in a second if we can. Uh, Well, the chief executive of SANE is Marjorie Wallace. Marjorie, I think I may have just worked out why Zoe's been sleeping so badly. (laughs) She's got a screaming child. (laughs) Yes, I think that might be one of the reasons. There are many reasons why people experience insomnia. What, What are your thoughts on the report? Well, it's also not very surprising. In fact, there was a great sleep survey done a year ago where they had 5,000 people and found about the same uh, figure. About a third of people did report that they had difficulties either getting to sleep or staying asleep or waking early in the morning. Um, and it, of itself, that doesn't mean to say that it's, you know, always a bad thing. Mm. But it's, a, it's a, a, the quality of the sleep. If you have recurrent nightmares and keep waking, or if you wake up and you have huge feelings of anxiety or sense of doom. And now... The difference is you can have a bad sort of sleep night, like you have a bad hair day, because you've had a, something happen in your day. It's when it repeats itself, when it goes on for no reason in your day, and it's it's a morning after morning after morning. And then what people do is they resort to sort of like I've got to have a respite from this, knocking themselves out, and yeah. they kind of take any old thing they can think of, any remedy they can think of, antihistamines here or there, without actually going and finding the help because they could have underlying depression, which is actually one of the key features that define depression, that uh, onset of depression. So it is a bit dangerous to sort of play about with lack of sleep in that way, and better to really go and say to a pharmacist or to your doctor, now what is the best thing I can do? And 
possibly, and the latest sort of thing that people go for is cognitive behaviour therapy. Do people go to their doctors? And why aren't they going to their doctors? Is it because it's, it's just sleep and they think the doctor won't be interested or are they afraid of what they might find out? What are the reasons? I think they just kind of say, you know, this is life, just like Zoe's talking about. You just learn to live with it. I'm a really, really bad sleeper. But remember, Margaret Thatcher slept, ex- did very well on four mm. hours sleep a night. No, I think it's when it, it's, it's a usual thing with these things. It's a normal condition. It's a normal human condition. Not everybody needs to have long hours of sleep. Not everyone has perfect sleep. But it's when it starts to affect your life, when it starts to make you unable to work in the day, when it starts to give you low mood, bad thoughts, um, and when it disables your life, mm. then I think um, it often people seek help a bit too late because by that time they've got into a really bad pattern uh, of sleeping and they're denying the fact that it may be due to something that's going on um, beneath that is could be helped. I mean, like, like anxiety, depression, maybe some other mental disorder. It definitely, definitely is really, really bad for people who already have um, some kind of mental illness because it makes it worse because they feel disconnected from reality. It's a horrible feeling. You probably have sometimes had it. But if you go day after day, mm. I used to do experiments on sleep deprivation as a psychologist, but it has a horrible effect on the mind. It makes you feel sort of, you know, out of reality and disconnected and you have sometimes hallucinations. It's, it can have these really, really very bad effects, which is why it's important to catch it early. Marjorie, uh, thank you very much. That's Marjorie Wallace, Chief Executive of SANE, and uh, we'll say thank you as well to Zoe, who has been uh, sorting out her child. Excellent work, Zoe, and, and hopefully you're sleeping much better now. It's 7.46, it's Thursday the 27th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A report on the sexual exploitation of children in Rochdale says years of failures by the police and social services allowed the abuse to continue, even after it was reported by the victims. The grandfather of Luton hit-and-run murder victim Delaney Brown is urging witnesses to come forward, saying they wouldn't be helping the police, they'd be helping the family. In sport, ahead of the Ryder Cup starting tomorrow, the USA's Branch Schnedeker has underlined just how competitive he is by saying he always aims to beat his opponent's brains in. Your weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Cloudy with patchy rain at first, but brightening up this afternoon. Top temperature is 16 degrees. And coming up, how do you go about improving part of your community? A new project on Twitter called Hashtag We Will Gather lets you find people to help make a change. We'll find out more before 8 a.m. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm excited. I look. If you hate the Beatles, it's going to be an awful day for you. But if you love them, and everybody loves the Beatles, don't they? Who doesn't like the Beatles? Only some kind of weird person. Now, how do you go about improving part of your community? There's a new project on Twitter called Hashtag We Will Gather. It lets you find people to help make a change. And it seems to be having a big impact. Dan Thompson is the founder of We Will Gather. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Now, this launched two weeks ago. What, what have you noticed in that time? What we've noticed with We Will Gather is that people want to do lots of little things in their community. It's not about um, big regeneration projects. It's not about we need a, a new cinema or whatever. People just want to clean their street up, do a bit of gardening in the local park, the little things that can make a difference to the, the way people live. So give us an example of, of, of one of the events that's been happening then. There's a lovely one in Margate, um, streets ahead in Margate, uh, cleaned up a flower bed. There's a rose bed in one of the squares that had got overgrown, um, and they, they just went and weeded it. Took them a short amount of time, five people got together, they talked to another five or six local residents, 
got the bed cleaned up, litter picked, looked fantastic afterwards. So they just tweeted, we're going to be doing, th- this This um, flower bed needs to be cleaned up, we're going to be there Tuesday at three o'clock, who wants to join us? And people turned up. Yeah, all you have to do to get We Will Gather to work on your behalf is to tweet with the hashtag We Will Gather, the word help, and a postcode. The website sets up a page for you, and then you can start signing up people to help through that. I think this sounds fantastic. I'm, I've always been a big fan of, uh, you know, the people doing small things in their communities to make a difference. Why did you... Dan, you sound like a young gentleman. Uh, 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 why did you, as a young man, decide to, to start this up? Um, Dad, you think I sound like a young gentleman? I'm, I'm 38. So I think Are I you passed, really? I've passed the young gentleman Well, listen, bit, you're an um, old man. I'm, I'm 39. We're, we're, we're well past it, Dan. <laughs> I wish I sounded like you. Blimey. We should, we should just be retiring and putting uh, slippers on by now, I, 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 I do wear slippers. Anyway, why did you decide <laughs> to start this? Um, since I was a young man, I've always done this kind of thing. I've always, um, believed that if, if you want to do something, then it, it's up to you to do it, not to moan and expect somebody else to do it for you. Mm. So, many years ago, um, back near my dad's house in Worthing, I, I cleaned up a patch of derelict land, got some neighbours together, cleaned it up. And, and got it back into use for the community. So it's something I've always done, and it's always been little things. I've always been interested in just doing the little things that can make a difference. If people aren't on Twitter, Dan, can they get involved, or do you have to be uh, a, a tweeter? Um, you have to use Twitter to start it. Right. Um, it. It was inspired by the way that I used Twitter last year to start Riot Cleanup, the big cleanup after the riots in London. So it was inspired by that, and, and Twitter was was always going to be at the heart of it. Yeah. But what we found is that Twitter is where you start the thing, but once you're out there doing it, other people come along. Once the idea is, is public, other people say, I'll come along and help, who aren't on Twitter. So my favourite photo from Riot Cleanup last year is a, a lovely old lady, must be in her 70s or 80s, standing on the street, surrounded by people on their mobile phones tweeting, and she's just standing there with a broom. Fantastic. So, once, once you start it, other people soon join in. Dan, how many people do you reckon have used this service so far? It's hard to tell, but we've had about 50 events Good started up in the past couple of weeks, Dan, so it's, it's it, it, taking off. It sounds fantastic. I wish you the best of luck. We'll speak to you next year when you're a dot-com millionaire. Is that all right? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. There's Dan Thompson, the founder of We Will Gather. There is a website, wewillgather.co.uk. And if you go on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, if you hashtag We Will Gather, you can see it. Fantastic. I love stuff like that. People just doing small things in their community to make it a little bit better. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Hey, another thing I love. World records. I love world records. Who doesn't love a world record? Well, staff and students at the University of Hertfordshire will be attempting to complete the world's longest handshake chain. Yeah. The big shake-off starts this afternoon at one, and we've invited a couple of the competitors into the studio to warm up. So, uh, who, we've got Andrew Francis and Tom Peverell. Who's, who's who? I'm Andrew. You're Andrew, I'm and Tom. you're Tom. Yeah. Andrew, for this interview, I'm going to shake your hand. Is that you're, all right? That's fine. Are, you, are, are your hands clean? Oh, he's got a, he's got a firm grip. I have. I'm going to move my microphone over here. We're, this is awkward, because we're both... Hey, steady on, steady on. Right, I'll move my microphone. You, 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 we'll, we'll, you're we'll, the boss. We'll compromise. No, we'll, I'll shout into mine. Andrew, you organised this. I did. Already, I feel... With the, we've been shaking hands for about ten seconds, and already... Yeah. This is uncomfortable for me. Well, it's fine for me. You do get these people, don't you, that do ha- you, you go for the handshake yeah. and they'll, they'll be there for like a minute later, they're still holding yeah. your hand. Why did you get the idea for this? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting us along. Well, it's a pleasure to have you it, here. It, it all starts at one o'clock today at College Lane Keep at shaking. the University of Hertfordshire. Sorry, yep. shake and shake. Well, we, we always do things at the start of the year, but this is an important year for us. It's, uh, in fact, our diamond jubilee year we wanted to do something different we wanted to do something that was a bit of fun and uh we thought we'd go for something that was symbolic but simple and handshake seemed the right thing to do
I'm liking the handshake. You do a good handshake. It's firm, Thanks. but not aggressive. Good. Also, you get these people as well that do that handshake, the power yeah, handshake, where yeah. they put their hand on top. Yeah, I know. There's none of that going no, on. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about this. <laughs> <laughs> How did you approach people and get them involved? Well, I'm sure a lot of people just went, oh, come on, grow up. For yeah, I mean, I, I think word of mouth is, is absolutely not enough these days, and we get uh, young guys like uh, Tom here to help us out and use social media. Mm-hmm. So we've been uh, tweeting and uh, Facebook, and uh, we text all our new students, and, of course, we've been emailing people and... Uh, Everything else that we can do to try and gather as many people uh, together this afternoon to give us uh, uh, the best chance of um, beating the record. What's the world record at the moment? Well, that's a good point, Ian. Uh, about a week ago, it was 680, and so I was very confident that we Uh-oh. would smash it. Yeah. And uh, about a week ago, uh, I had a, um, a oh. telephone call from Guinness to tell me that it increased to 2,380. Oh! D- where, who yes. did that? Where's it, it, where it's an American company. Jeez, so uh, our, we've got our work cut out, hence the reason why we're here <laughs> and everywhere, encouraging everyone, and that's students. So you, you uh, want to get new, two and a half thousand people to Yeah, we basically. do. How many have you got signed up so far? We've got, uh, I think we're going to get, um, uh, on Facebook, we've got about 600 or 700. Okay, okay. And we've got a lot of staff working at the university. I yeah. think there's pushing 3,000 staff at, uh, at oh. the university. So uh, we're encouraging all staff, and we're even encouraging our local residents to come along too. Fantastic. So anyone can come along, even if they're, yeah. this is the weirdest interview I've ever done. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> so anyone can come along, even if they're not a student or a staff. Indeed. Uh, Tom, you are a student. I am indeed, yeah. Uh, well, shouldn't you be studying instead of doing some nonsense? <laughs> like this. You're, um, you're broken Britain, aren't you? <laughs> um, I am actually a student, but I'm on placement at the university. Right. Uh, so I've got, uh, obviously, two roles there. But um, as a student, I think it's a fantastic thing for them to get to, uh, involved with. Yeah. Especially, like Andrew said, in our 60th year, which is quite important. Um, and welcome them to the university. Is there a length of time this has to go on for? Does it have to be a long yes, time as well? It does, actually. It, the actual record is the most people simultaneously shaking hands right. for one minute. Okay. So it, it's about um, the most people that we can get yeah. rather than the chain idea. Okay. But yeah, so 2,380 it currently stands. So it's pairs of people shaking it. No, it'll be huge. No, it'll be one line. Aye, aye, aye. Yes, indeed. It's taken quite a lot of uh, planning. Um, we'll see how it goes later on at one o'clock. Are you bringing uh, lots of hand sanitizer? Because some people are a little <laughs> bit funny. I, uh, about is there hands. any reason you're saying that? No, <laughs> there's not at all. But some some people are a bit funny about touching they other are, people's yeah. hands. Yes, they are indeed. Uh, uh, we, we we're covering all bases. I uh, met Philip Schofield uh, several times, and I only shook his hand once. And the second he, he let go of my hand, the hand sanitizer came out, and he, he gave himself a little scrub. A uh, what? It's a bit weird. It is a bit weird. (laughs) Uh, Tom, uh, how many of your mates are coming down to help out? Have you got a lot of friends coming? I have a lot of friends now. I've invited all of them, so hopefully I will see them down there. Um, Like I said, I've been using my social media and my phone a lot over the last few days to get them down. Okay, th- th- Andrew, listen, so people want to come down, tell us exactly where they can find out about this and where yeah. they need to come. Okay, well, they can look at the University of Hertfordshire Facebook site. Yes. But the important thing to remember, keep we shaking, almost lost our rhythm. Shaking, we lost keep our rhythm. shaking, come uh, on. Um, it's at one o'clock today. It's at the College Lane campus what you're at the doing, University of Hertfordshire. What you're doing, can I just say, is you're emphasising certain words with the shakes. You're going, it's one o'clock today. Yeah. It's at the, you're emphasising, yeah. very good, well done. Thanks. No, carry on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. It Will is you invite fun. me back? I like you. We, yeah. Well, listen, we've been shaking hands for so long, we have to go out on a date now. Well, uh, I'll, we'll go half. So, okay, go on, sorry, so where, where do they yeah. need to be? One o'clock, College here? Lane. Yep. It's going to take a bit of uh, organising, so I think we'll probably attempt the record around one thirty. Lovely. But we really do need as many people uh, to come as possible. We've put the word out for staff and students, yep. but if they're local residents that like to join us, then they're very, very welcome to. Okay, and release. I've got AKR. Oh, look at you, you are wiping your hands. <laughs> 
How rude. Andrew, I've gone right off you. No, I've got an achy arm now. I'm not too bad. That's hard. Well, you're a tough lad. Look, I'm, I'm just skin and bone, me. Listen, thank you. I wish you the best of luck. Hopefully we'll speak to you tomorrow and you'll be world record breakers. Yes. And it was Bruce Lee and Mark Boland for me. For post. Oh, was it really? Yeah. You had Bruce Lee as well? I did, yeah. Uh, I didn't have Mark Boland. My mum was very concerned that I had all these pictures of Bruce Lee sweaty yeah. and w- yeah, yeah. with nunchuckers. We were talking, Tom, uh, about who oh, okay. your pin-ups were or are. Okay. Do you have pin-ups? Uh, I don't have any Did you have any when you were younger? Uh, a football idol of mine, was that acceptable? Football, yeah, of course yeah. it is, yeah, it's all acceptable. Any, yeah. Anyone in particular? Uh, Stephen Gerrard. Oh, Fantastic. there we go, you see, yeah. well, I don't know anything about football, but I've heard mm. of him, so he yeah. must be a good one. He's all right. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. And thanks, thanks for inviting us. Best of luck, chaps, and we will hopefully be speaking to some world record breakers tomorrow. A lot of world records on the show uh, recently. I think there's something good going on here. Uh, you're, you're right, uh, that we were talking about pinups. If you want to let us know who your pinups were, 08459 455 555. Nice to hear another um, nomination for Bruce Lee. Well done. Thank you very much, chaps. That's uh, Andrew Francis and Tom Peverell uh, from the University of Hertfordshire trying to break the world record. The interview there was filmed. If you want to see me shaking someone's hand for a ridiculous amount of time... Oh, I'm shaking yours as well. A brief one. Thank you, Tom. If you want to see me shaking Andrew's hand for a long time, uh, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. It will be added up there a little bit later on. And we kind of pop bits of audio and video and pictures and stuff from the show. So it's worth either going to the Facebook page or following on Twitter at BBC3CR. Ah. ah, I'm genuinely out of breath after just shaking a hand. How unfit am I? In the next hour, we'll be talking more about road accidents and should we get rid of those roadside tributes? All of that and more after the latest news with Catherine Boyle. Catherine, good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's just gone eight o'clock. Another hour of the show before Jonathan Vernon Smith comes and does his thing. Coming up, if you're a working mum, you're letting your kids down. That's according to the heads of the IMF. You can have your say on that. I've got some tweets that are furious. Uh, Road accidents. We've got the latest figures for the road accidents in the Beds, Hearts and Bucks area. How can we make the roads safer? I say get rid of those roadside tributes. They're distracting and unattractive. Uh, And also we'll be talking more uh, about We Will Gather, the new hashtag phenomenon that's taking over the internet. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. The texts and the emails aren't working, so you can either tweet us at BBC3CR or give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, today, the BBC is looking ahead to one of the biggest changes in the history of the NHS. But how are they going to affect us in the three counties when they come into force in April? We heard earlier from Dr Jeremy Cox. He's a GP in Hitchin and chair of the Hertfordshire Local Medical Committee. I think anxious would be quite a good word. These are huge changes. We've taken a thing that we think we quite well understood, something called a primary care trust, a PCT, which we may not always have loved, which we understood and we were replacing it with a completely new body and a completely new set of uh, rules and regulations really or that's how it feels that could be a really good opportunity it could not be Sanjit Soin from Luton joined us in the studio earlier. He's a regular NHS user as he lives with type 2 diabetes. He told us he was clueless about the changes. There should be more information, like, you know, like us, we should be told and then can, we can pass on the same information to our patients with diabetes who attend our meetings because I'm the chairperson and if somebody comes along and asks me these questions, I've done 
Well, Cl- uh, Chris Naylor joins us now from the King's Fund. This is a charity which focuses on health policy. Morning, Chris. Morning, Ian. Is there a simple way to explain these changes? Because I'm still kind of scratching <laughs> my head about a lot of it. Well, I think you're not alone. Good. There. Many people <laughs> are. But my, my kind of quick summary that would be three or four things. Yes. There's, there's radical changes to the way that services are being commissioned. So the primary care trusts that we were just hearing about are being replaced by groups led by GPs. There's also a transfer of power from the Department of Health into this new independent commissioning board. Uh, There's lots of new roles for local governments. So, in a sense, national government are stepping back from the NHS a little bit, but local government is being asked to step forwards. Uh, And the last thing, and possibly the most controversial thing, is that there's this potentially substantial increase in the use of markets and competition in healthcare. And how will these changes affect the way the NHS is run? Well, in terms of the implications for patients, which is, you know, the the, the big question... you could read all 470 pages of the Health and Social oh. Care Act, and I wouldn't recommend it. No, I'm busy still, then, but thanks. You still wouldn't get uh, a kind of definitive answer <laughs> to that question, because so much of it, there's, there's all of these changes happening at the same time, and so much of it depends on how it's implemented in practice. Some of it is, to be honest, under the bonnet stuff, which will take a few years to really kick in in practice. Right. Why were these changes necessary, Chris? Well, they, they were changes that um, the the, and the previous Secretary of State for Health, Andrew Lansley, had been uh, developing over over quite a few years, actually. He s- saw various problems in the NHS, and, the, and this is his attempt at fixing them. You know, So one of the problems is the fact that, generally, doctors haven't been that closely involved in the big questions about how the NHS is run. So that's one of the things that it's intended to fix. But really, the, I mean, the big challenge for the NHS over the next few years is is the funding situation. And um, it's by no means clear that these reforms will actually help with that. Chris uh, Naylor from the King's Fund, thank you very much. We can now go to Annette Garnell. Uh, she is the Chief Clinical Officer of the Children Commissioning Group. What is a clinical commissioning group? Uh, good morning, Ian. Good morning. Um, uh, it's Annette Gamel. Gamel, I do apologise. How rude of me. absolutely all right. Um, a clinical commissioning group is a member organisation, and the members are the practices, the GP practices. Mm. This is, is the reform based at get, getting... Uh, the previous speaker said doctors haven't been that close. This is about getting doctors very close to the, uh, to, to the, to the reforms, to the services, to the z- design, to the patient voice. But do so the doctors about- want to be that close? Because we heard earlier on from a doctor who was quite anxious about the decisions and responsibilities that he'd be faced with. Um, I think there will be lots of, of, of decisions and responsibilities, but it's not purely doctors. This is about getting doctors involved with managers, with, with, with bigger groups, with other organisations, where we've all worked in separate organisations and separate entities before. Um, GPs on the front line in their consulting rooms will be better informed, but they won't be making these huge decisions at, at, at management level. We will have managers, talented managers, experienced managers from the NHS still working very, very closely with us. But doctors will be deciding who goes for operations and when they go, won't they? Um, doctors already do that. that, that, that the GP that doesn't. Decision. The clinical, the, the, the GPs do the referrals. But they don't decide. We, we, we were told from a, a doctor, a GP earlier on, that he will be having to decide uh, who is suitable to go and have an operation. That, that, that's not how it works now, is it? Um, currently, we would make a clinical decision as, as to whether um, uh, an operation is needed, what the service is that's, that's there, where it is, and if the, the patient is, is, is clinically um, 
um, safe to have that surgery and have the anaesthetic and so forth. And we would uh, we would liaise with our consultant colleagues on on that. So that isn't changing. Um, but GPs will be better informed about what services are where. We will be educated. There's a lot of um, uh, duties in terms of training and education. So so GPs will be much better informed about what services, um, what what um, clinical pathways we call them that's a, a, a sort of journey uh, along and the decision making tool journey. The, the journey the if you think oh. of um a referral yeah uh, well a patient's journey how do they get to their gp they get up in the morning they make a decision they phone they make an appointment they they, they turn up at uh, at the con- consulting room they have um, um decisions made with 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 them uh, with the gp their journey might be um, go home with advice. It might be go to the to the pharmacy. It might be a referral onwards. So all these steps are what we put together and call a journey. Well, it sounds a hideous Americanism, Annette. No, no, it's it's a good description, and it's what we will be using when we when we talk to patients oh because that's that's what the patient voice. This is what this this reform is all about. I don't think patients want to hear about journeys, though, do they? No, no, it does no, sound a little bit patronising. No, no, no. We will listen to what the patient has experienced let's let, let's use another word if yeah. you prefer the patient experience mm. and the patient experience is, is important because that's how we will drive up quality if patients come back to us and say um this happened that happened this was good this wasn't so good the gps in the front line being members of this organization will be able to feed that back to the decision makers that help with the design of those services and say well this bit didn't didn't work very well we need to look at that again and we need to improve the, the design we need to <laughs> He's got time to do all this, to be discussing things with, ma- with managers, because they're, they're very, very busy. You can hardly get an appointment anyway. I, I want my GP to be treating people, not having meetings and speaking to managers and following things like that. I want them to be seeing as many people as they can and giving the, the best medical advice they can. And absolutely. The, 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 the member GPs of, of, of the CCGs, from, from the patient point of view, will be in the consulting room seeing the patients. The difference will be that that... that, that um, that experience will be spread further, whereas at the moment it stays in the consulting room and then somewhere else decisions are made about what services are around. GPs will, will have time and an opportunity. There will be a few, a smaller number of GPs who are doing more of the management with management, making those, attending those meetings, but the most GPs will can carry on in the consulting room but will be better informed with their patients about what services are around and have a voice in, in helping to design those services. Will any surgery closed because of this um no no not at all that is is not a plan um the 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 member organi- organization is made up of all the surgeries in um local areas and there are there are um rules about which which ccg they need to join in terms of of um their their uh, geography um but this isn't this isn't in, in no way intended to be closing surgeries and the doctors gps yeah. are they actually in favor of this the guy we spoke to earlier on wasn't he was nervous and anxious about it are they really in favor of I having think, more work and it being a more complicated system for them i i think for the for the for the day-to-day frontline gp this won't be a more complicated system the idea of having clinicians involved and and, and being part of the bit of bigger picture should actually help to streamline health services and understanding so um the the, the, the gps are in favor of, of of 
having decisions that help the patient outcome and the quality uh, and the experience and being better informed. Um, a lot of what happens at the moment, as I've said, is, is that um, things go on in the consulting room. There are services out there, but we as GPs don't always know what those services are. This is designed to, to actually improve that along with social care, community care, um, mental health, the voluntary sector, all of those um, th th those organisations working much better together. Annette, thank you very much, Annette Gamel. She's uh, uh, Chief Clinical Officer for the Chiltern Commissioning Group. I don't know if I want my doctor doing more and different things. I do get very uncomfortable in the, the, the use of the word journey. It was a very popular word in TV production about five years ago. OK, interesting idea, but uh, what's the journey? I, I, want the, I want the presenter to be going on a journey. Yeah, every production meeting five years ago. I want the presenter to be going on a journey. When the, the word journey comes in, we don't want to know about the patient's journey. Patient goes to the doctor, either gives them some medicine or refers them to the hospital. That's, that makes sense. Listen, if you are a GP, I would love you to call in. The texts aren't working, so call in. Are you genuinely looking forward to this, or are you kind of scratching your head going, huh, what, more work? Oh, wait, 459 455 555. It's 8.15 on Thursday, the 27th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The first in a series of reports on the sexual exploitation of girls in Greater Manchester says the police and social workers failed to act when told what was happening. Three weeks after the hit-and-run murder of Delaney Brown, his grandfather has called for witnesses to help the family by speaking up. In sport, England's women's cricket team has beaten Pakistan by 43 runs in their T20 World Cup match. Weather coming up shortly with Steve, and bef uh, later on in the show, figures already released show there were nearly 8,500 casualties on our roads last year. This morning we're asking what can be done to increase the safety of our roads. Before 8.30, we'll speak to a mother who lost her son in a motorbike accident in 2004. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan and uh, Vernon Smith is in the studio. I was listening to your show, thoroughly enjoying it yesterday. I thought it was a fantastic show. Thanks. The Consumer Hour uh, was wonderful. You had a gentleman who had great trouble. Um, his uh, jump-starting kit had broken down. Yes. Uh, and then you found one, and I thought it was brilliant. That people, that one of the great things about your show is that people will phone in, they'll help and offer yeah. advice. And they yeah. said, we found this kit. It's £33. It's on, it's on a website. And he's going, well, I don't have a computer. And you said, well, we found out that he had a daughter who had one, but she wasn't coming back from holiday until Friday. Yeah. And you were just... <laughs> Can't you wait until Friday then? <laughs> well, no, I need, I need it now. I really do need. Are you going? Can, your line was: Can you try not to get a flat battery or a flat tire in, between now and Friday? Well, I'll try my best, Jonathan. Well, we managed to because I know that uh, this is Roy that you're talking about. It was Roy. It was and wonderful. Roy, uh, he was uh, still concerned that he was without his jump start kit, so we managed to find a local shop in Luton yesterday oh, afternoon well that actually sells one for twenty three ninety nine. <laughs> so we after the show yesterday. We we sent Roy to go to this shop and purchase it, and after 11 today, we'll find out did he have success. <laughs> coming up later. It really did make me chuckle, and he, he kept coming back on for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, we needed to check how things were. It, it, was, it, was, it was the Roy show. <laughs> well, it might be the Roy show again today. I, listen, I know that, that Bill Buckley's filling in for you next week. Yeah, I'm just thinking, is. you know, let, let's pay Bill off. We'll get Roy in to do the whole show. It's well, <laughs> yeah, it's fine by me. What have you got this morning, Jonathan? Well, coming up uh, after nine this morning on the big phone-in, we're picking up on, uh, on this topic that you've been discussing today. I'm asking, do you always have to choose between 
between a career and your family. Mm. Uh, as you've been discussing, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, says women can't have it all. She says women must accept that there will be failures if they attempt to juggle a career and raise children at the same time. Well, is that right? I mean, she's ranked as the eighth most powerful woman in the world, so perhaps it's not possible for a woman at her level... Behind Jennifer Aniston, I think. You reckon? Why not? She's good. She's, uh, yes. She's good in that film, The Breakup. Anyway, sorry, Carol, I've, I've ruined your flow. No, 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 I was, I was just going to ask, you know, perhaps if you're at that kind of level, yeah. then it is very difficult to be able to, to combine a family and your career. But for most women, mm. is it perfectly possible? Or do you think, no, she makes a very good point, and actually women should accept that if they do have a career, the chances are their family is suffering as a result. 08459 Do you always have to choose between a career and your family it's the big phone in from nine i look forward to listening to it by the way what's wrong with liver <laughs> it's disgusting listen don't tweet uh, 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 that you are going to cook disgusting food for your foreign guest liver and bacon oh, is delicious i've brought dirty. it it's in a tupperware upstairs for my lunch you've got cold liver and bacon mm. into this building it's delicious you're disgusting she loved it and she had seconds <laughs> Have you really got an Argentinian friend? Are you just yeah, making yeah. this up no, to sound no, popular? Honestly, she's staying, and, and she said, "What can you cook me that's English?" And uh, and I'm thinking, well, "What can I cook her that's English?" And I said, "Dinner." Look, well, she's had that. Okay. So I said, "How about liver and bacon?" Oh. That's uh, I grew up on liver and bacon. My mum used to do liver and bacon. <laughs> Look at the state of you, <laughs> full of full of full of winter goodness. So I did a liver and bacon. She loved it. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that with us, <laughs> Jonathan Venice. What a strange cackle that was. <laughs> take, take your rubbish out of my studio. Go, go away. Jonathan Vernon Smith will be on at nine o'clock. Always worth a listen. Always, <laughs> always worth a listen. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to give us a call at any point this morning, the texts and the emails are down, so the phone number is oh eight four five nine four double five five double five, or you can tweet us at BBC Three CR. There were nearly 8,500 road casualties in the three counties last year. That's according to a report on road casualties out today. 82 people were killed on our roads and 782 seriously injured. Justin Dealey is still at the Transport Cafe on the A5 in Hertfordshire. Justin, what have the drivers been saying to you? Well, well the biggest complaint here, Ian, with the drivers is cyclists. Um, every single driver I spoke to said a similar situation to what we heard earlier on. There are traffic lights. Cyclists are literally hanging onto their trucks for balance which is incredible. Also, they would like to see a bigger police presence on our roads. I think that goes without saying. And, of course, you have been discussing roadside tributes on the programme this morning. Are they dangerous? Well, this driver I've been talking to, he says there should be a time limit on how long that tribute is actually there for. Take a listen to this. They are a distraction to other road users. Um, people, obviously, they're bereaved. They want to go to the place, mark the, the spot where people have died. But... It's how they approach where that area is. It, you know, they're concerned about what's happened and their friends, their griefs, and that. They don't care about how they've parked or what endangerment they're causing to anybody else. And I don't think, in this day and age, it's an, a prevalent thing. So how long are we talking here? What, two days, a week? I would say two days. Two days, max. Yeah, two days. And then, obviously, clear it away. You know, the tribute's been made. People know that the spot's there. It serves no purpose whatsoever to have a continuous marker. Because some people might say you're being slightly harsh, but you're thinking here about road safety, aren't exactly. you? Exactly, yeah. It's, it's not, OK, an accident's already happened, so why have something there to remind people that there's an accident? 
when they're going to cause an accident there in the first place. Set of views there of one driver earlier on this morning who doesn't wish to be named this morning. And another point which keeps on coming up here is retesting. I mentioned yesterday, Ian, that, mm. that I failed my driving test five times. Incredible. I was a pretty poor driver then. I'm a pretty poor driver now. But I think to myself, if I was to be tested again, would I actually pass? Because all of those safety tips that I picked up years ago, would I still know them now? Probably not. Justin, here's an idea. You and me, we're going to do our driving test again. You up for it? Well, the only thing is, I've been told about this before. Apparently, if you fail... Oh, hang, <laughs> <laughs> hang on. If you fail, apparently, they can take your licence off you. So so maybe not. Justin, here's an idea. You and me, we're not going to do our driving <laughs> test again. Okay? Absolutely. Thank you for the fact. Anything else, sir, before I let you go? Well, yeah, I was going to say, lots of people here just having their say, particularly about the, the slip roads again. Yep. Slip roads, also motorway driving. Uh, the, the way that drivers cut off when they've got an exit slip road to get on. Uh, they do think that something's got to be done because the roads right now are a very dangerous mm. place to be. And these, of course, they are professional drivers. Mm. They know what they're talking about. Justin Dilly, thank you very much. Now, uh, Mary Amos Cole's son, uh, who was killed in a motorbike accident in 2004, she joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Mary. Hello, darling. Thank you very much for coming in. I like it you call me darling. That's nice. No one says that anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, that, that phrase is kind of on the way out, and I like it. Uh, Do you well, just move a little bit closer to the yeah, microphone, darling? Okay. There we go. <laughs> now, listen, uh, on a serious note, your son, uh, Richard, was killed in a collision with another car. He was on a motorbike. What do you remember about the day that you got the call? It was half past ten on a Wednesday morning, bright, sunny, gorgeous morning, and Richard, or Rick, Rick Amos, Mm. everyone called him, Rich, um, I called him Rich, said, I'll be over in the afternoon, mother, to cut your trees. And as I was, um, my husband come home from work early, and he said, come, let's go to Milton Keynes. And I said, can't go. He goes, why can't you go? I goes, can't go. He goes, why can't you? I said, he said, get off the bed, you're dressed, come on, let's go. I goes, I can't. Mm. Something's happened to one of my sons. I've got four sons, and Richard was my number four son from my first marriage. And um, my ex-husband died of cancer, right? So I said, I can't go. Something's happened to one of my sons, but I don't know which one. And this feeling of horror and dread. Wow. So he said, come on, Mary, let's go. So we went out to the car, and as we went to get in his car, the phone rang. And I went, this is it, this is it, oh, I know God. this is it. And it was Steve, one of my other sons, he's a roofer for McIntyre Roofing, and he was roofing in Radley. Mm. And Richard was on a test with a pupil at half past ten, right, uh, returning from a test, because he was a motorbike instructor's instructor, mm. right, really, really qualified. Yeah. And um, he was returning from a test with a pupil when a car pulled out of Shenley Road Hill, turned right and stopped on Richard's right of way. Richard died at the scene. And the pupil was a roofer, and the pupil rung the roofing boss, and the roofing boss rung my Steve, oh, who was on a roof at Radley, and then Steve rung me. And we didn't know what hospital or nothing, and we didn't ring 999 to find out. It's amazing. We didn't think about 999. We just rung the ordinary switchboard, and we can we get through, and mm. we was all in a panic. My husband was ringing on one phone, I was ringing on another. Steve didn't know where. We picked up Steve on the way, and then when we got there, Richard was dead. And uh, he was 39. 39 and a dad as well? Pardon? Was he a dad as yeah, well? 39 with three kids from his first marriage. And uh, I just, you know, I hate Wednesdays. Mm. I mean, yesterday, I can't stand Wednesdays at half past ten. I hate them. But Even now, eight years later, it's still... Yeah, yeah. I um, Well, how do you mend a broken heart? How do you do it? You know, mm. you, you can't, can you? I so many memories. I go in a shop and go to buy a motorbike book. For, I think I buy this for Rich. I say everybody called him Rick, 
And I think Jeff goes, Mary, uh, Mary. And I go, oh, of course he ain't here, is he? Mm. And since then, I've helped campaign Think Bike. Mm. And I've got three roundabouts, two on the White Line Retail Park at Boscombe Road, where the old Vauxhalls was, and one on the A5 Chilt Cutting in Dunstable, going towards Hotcliffe. And regarding your persons that have said about floral tributes, mm. now... I had a stroke because the case was dismissed, but a civil action was taken later and settled out of court, mm. right? And y- you've got to come to terms with this. He's got three kids and all that, you know, and he's got three brothers. Um, I was coming in with my husband, right? And I listened to your stuff. And I had a stroke, I say, after one of the court cases. And I'm okay now. Mm. But my, my blood pressure, my God, did it go up. Mm. And I was furious because Bedfordshire Police, I've been helping the highways, the partnerships, um, the councils do Think Bike. And they themselves put up floral tributes in Bedford at spots that was black spots Mm. to make people aware. And this was a crossroads that Richard got killed on. Mm. And people have been killed on it before. And people come to that crossroads and they see the word Think Bike there and they see the and i tend the flowers every week every saturday regular Mm. go over there and i tend the flowers people know it people talk about it they said richard's picture bedfordshire partnership put richard's picture up uh, a bigger one than you've got there give me a big stack of stuff here which i should have a look through thank you yeah um a great big picture about two three foot high and about two foot wide mm. Richard's picture on all the street furniture in Bedfordshire and that was the police and the partnerships they done that mm. yeah so and I think it does make people aware and I have a comeback from break road piece all the different people that people do think bike and seeing bike as they try to take another look mm. and they are more aware now and while I'm on here mm. I would like to say you know, Very quickly, because we've got about 30 seconds left, Mary. Sorry. Oh, right, right. People, motorists, don't indicate. Yeah. I've seen that. A lot of them have got only one light on, mm. which is dangerous. Um, they suddenly part, uh, stop, rather. Their brakes suddenly go on when they're on the phone. I saw someone swigging out of a bottle yesterday, leaning back and swigging out well, of a bottle. While they were driving. While mm. they were driving. Incredible. Yeah. And um, people don't have proper instructors. Coming here this morning, there was a learner driver with no proper instructor. Mm. Obviously, the mum, dad, or God knows who. Why don't they have proper instructors? So basically, you're saying that we should... But we, we did a phone-in last week on ridiculous things that you've seen drivers doing, and we've had people texting, and, and we had someone reading a book while they were driving a car. Yeah. You think that the, the people should just have a bit more common sense, wise up a bit, and be a yeah. bit more sensible. Yeah. I think I think everyone would agree with that. Mary, listen, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for bringing me all this. Am I allowed to have a look at this and keep this stuff? Or do you need to take this, this you, stuff you back? Can, you can have it, darling. I'll have a little look at that. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I think you're a very brave lady for, for carrying on doing what you're doing. It's very sad. Well, I hope it's doing some good. I'm sure it is. That's uh, Mary Amos Cole, uh, whose son was killed uh, in 2004. Thank you so very much for coming in. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
very much there. A little bit late for the news, but I think you'll uh, agree that Mary's story was uh, was very powerful uh, and was well worth listening to. Coming up in the last 25 minutes of the show before Jonathan takes over at nine, uh, more on bad driving, more on cyclists. Uh, and if you're a woman, you can't have a career and kids. That's called, according to the, 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 the female head of the IMF. We've got some email, uh, sorry, some tweets on that. We'll read those a bit later on. But let's rattle through these as quickly as we can. Jason is in Shillington. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Ian. Jason, what can I do for you? Uh, it's about your road safety um, comments made from the drivers that Justin's been meeting at the truck stop. Yes. Um, I just really want to comment about the drivers, these lorry drivers and the delivery drivers that take their, their, their large 38-ton lorries down roads that they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a gross laden weight on the road of seven and a half tonnes, and you've got a driver taking a 38-tonne lorry down it, and then he's complaining about cyclists. Well, he presents a far greater danger on the road than any cyclist ever does. The thing that gets me about those big trucks is when you're on the M1 or something like that, and they're sort of playing leapfrog with each other, but doing it really slowly. So you've got two big trucks hogging two lanes yeah. not, not really you know they're not really overtaking overtaking very very slowly uh, and they pull out quite often not all of them i'm not criticizing all of them so most of them are excellent but some of them they pull out don't indicate don't care that you're there because they're bigger than you that's the thing that annoys me yeah they're, 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 i think a lot of the lorry drivers have a bit of a god complex and they think i'm bigger than you you can get out of my way well no um and i mean if it was if I had any say in the matter, I would actually say that a 38 tonne lorry is far, far too big to be on the roads today. Why don't they put some of that transport on the rail network? Um, and then the lorry drivers go, oh, yeah, but what about my job? Well, go and work on the railways. Jason, thank you very much. Uh, Dave is in Hemel talking about retaking your driving test. Dave, is it true that if you retake your driving test and fail, you lose your licence? No, 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 no. Um, I was listening to your comments from your colleague. Well, I wouldn't um, call Justin a colleague, have, but yes. Uh, your, your colleague you were talking to, having a joke about losing a licence, was you? So we take your test? So I was listening to you. Yes, well, yes. We, well, um, I, I suggested we well, take no, our... You can, no, you can have an advanced driving test yeah. with a, refre- like a refresher course. Like if you get... Um, like I've just got a speeding fine for like three points. I was doing 36 miles an hour in the 30. So you deserve and it. And you can go and have a a little refresher course, a little driving thing. Yeah. To, um, but you don't get any points for that. But you can have the same thing. You can have an advanced driving test. Right. Uh, plus a like, refresher course. And you don't lose your licence because you're not taking the test. Okay. They're just giving you the basics and skills of driving again. And David, will you be speeding any more, you naughty, naughty man? Well, I, it, I, I was very unfortunate. I picked my daughter up from hospital at four o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah. She's telling me all um, what they've done. Yeah. And I'm um, not really concentrating. I'm only, um, you know, 68 well, You, you now. should be concentrating when you're driving a car, and you shouldn't no, be speeding. Yeah, I, I was concentrating, but, you know listening to her talking, I was just pulling along at 35 uh, clocks Th- in a... Um, 36, it uh, would appear. And you, well, you shouldn't be well, speeding, Dave. You deserve no, those I points. No, I shouldn't. Uh, I, I, I'm wrong. Good for you. Well done for admitting it. Dave and Hemel, thank you very much indeed.
Now, a Milton Keynes... We talked about this earlier. I think this sounds fantastic. A Milton Keynes man is looking to get people, in a, people involved in a new project to make a difference in their local area. Hashtag we will gather is used by people on Twitter to arrange to meet up and improve their community. So if you've got a flower bed that needs a bit of tending or there's a street that's a bit dirty or a wall that needs painting, you can do it. Well, Mike Galloway, a former Lib Dem councillor at MK Council, wants to start We Will Gather in his area in Wolverton. He's on the line now. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ian. Mike, why are you interested in this? Um, I caught up on Dan's uh, scheme, uh, or rather what, what he was doing when he did the riot clean-up. And this is the chap that we spoke to earlier on who started it, it the We is. Will Gather, yes. Yeah. Um, and so started just seeing the, the, the massive effect that Twitter can have to uh, spread information around people who might not other be in contact. It's not the only way, clearly. But so he's worked with others, worked with the government, in fact, on funding for this We Will Gather. You tweet to start it off creates a web page you put in some details and it as he said it's about small things not uh, large projects and uh, you come up with the where what it is you want to do when and the number of people you want mike there'll be some people saying hey come on painting fences weeding this is the local council's job some things may well be but on on the other hand we can just you know for 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 years people have just got on and done things the, this is not talking about the the big projects that clearly are the responsibility of the council but there are certain bits you know a bit of ground that isn't tended potentially people can take it on what do you hope to start in wolverton and how many people do you need to help you the, there's no specific thing at this point, but I suspect I, I will find a number. I'm chatting with some of the people, just seeing what's best, yeah. because we want it to be something that will the work. Um, it probably will be focused around uh, a clean up or painting something, which, yeah, that that could be argued as something for the council. But the council doesn't create litter, and that that's a very strong point mm. saying if, if you're talking about cleaning up in a park or something in, in not not in a main play area but just generally around a park then it's something that the community can get together and do and and i've participated in in such things in the past mike listen we're going to move on I, I wish you the very best of luck with that that's mike galloway former lib dem councillor mk council uh, who wants to start a hashtag we will gather in wolverton if you go to we will you can read a bit more about it and if you're on twitter Hashtag we will gather. You know what that means. Uh, and you can find out more. I think it sounds a cracking idea. C- communities helping each other. I'll have some of that, please. Uh, more on these driving lessons. Uh, Bill in Bedford. Good morning, Bill. Morning. But, but, but what is, if, if Justin and I were to take our driving tests again and we failed, we would lose our licence. Is that true? If it, well, with any test, if you uh, if you put yourself up and retake oh, it, uh, then obviously, you know, Me and my you put big yourself mouth. on the line, don't you? Yeah, I suppose so. Is there any way around it? Because I, I, I want, basically, what I want to do, Bill, is I want to prove that I'm a better driver than Justin. All right, then. Both of you come out with me. I'm the chairman of Rossborough Advanced Drivers Group in Bedford and the district. Oh, hello, yeah. Come out with me free of charge. I'll assess both of you. I'll take you through a nice little uh, journey where you can go in and out of different roundabouts, bends, stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you whether the, the driving you're doing on the day would meet the driving test standards. Right. And you'll see why we get so many people now come to us and say, look, I'm a bit worried about the driving. I'd like you to see what we're like and pull us up a little bit 
so that we can either be better drivers or we can take an advanced driving test. Okay, three things I want to raise here, Bill. Firstly, you couldn't take my driving licence away if I failed, could you? No. Could you tell me, could you, like, give us points so that uh, we can see who's the winner out of me and Justin? You, you'll both be assessed, you can compare each other, yes. sit in the car with each other and you can criticise each yeah. other while you're doing it. And thirdly, you did say free, didn't you? Free of charge. Bill, you stay on the line, my team will take your details, we will be in touch with you in the next few weeks. Justin Dealey, you are not escaping the Ian Lee driving challenge. Uh, Jane is uh, in Great Home. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. We're talking about the changes to the NHS, which people are struggling to get their heads around, but, but the, it will involve GPs a lot. What, what's your take on this? Um, I, to be honest, I haven't really heard what the changes are going to be yet. Oh. But um, listening to your lady who was speaking on the on the show this morning, yes. um, I'm wondering if she's going to do anything about the appointment system. Go on. Because um, I know... This was Annette Gamble, who is uh, the uh, g- Chief Clinical Officer of the Chiltern Commissioning Group. Yes, go on. Okay. Um, the, the the whole point is, if you need to get an appointment, you have to go to your surgery, and it's not just our surgery in this area. This is the several surgeries in Milton Keynes. Uh, you have to go there about half seven or quarter to eight in the morning to get an appointment. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. you can't get in. You will not get in that day. Um, and do you, would you mean, but, what, you can't just phone up, though, and, and book one? No, no, you can't. You and have to go there? Going, you have to go there. This has been going on for years. Um, my my mum specifically, I had to go to Jonathan in the end because my mum had a, an illness where she couldn't walk to the surgery. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I was picking her up at half seven in the morning to go and pick her up to take her to get an appointment, oh, and then going and getting her again later on to take her to that appointment. And this was I was doing this once or twice a week. Well, that's ridiculous. Point. I know that my do- doctor's surgery, you can phone up. You have to phone up between half seven and eight, uh, and they'll they'll uh, they'll fit you in. But having to actually physically go round there, you're right. That's a ridiculous state of affairs. It is, it is and it, this has been going on for years. And you cannot get through on the switchboards. And I know of four surgeries, and I'm not allowed to name them. No, but please I know don't. four yep. that, are, that are local to me that you cannot get through. Okay. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much for that. Getting appointments at doctors is always very, very difficult, isn't it? That sounds ridiculous, though. 8.45, Thursday the 27th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The first in a series of reports on the sexual exploitation of girls in Greater Manchester says the police and social workers failed to act when told what was happening. Three weeks after the hit-and-run murder of Delaney Brown, his grandfather has called for witnesses to help the family uh, by speaking up. In sport, England's cricketers are in action against the West Indies in the Super 8 stage of the Men's T20 World Cup later today. And coming up, Wickham Wanderers Football Club have appointed player coach Gareth Ainsworth as caretaker manager following the departure of Gary Waddock. We'll speak to Gareth before 9am. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, as a woman... Can you successfully have both a career and a family, or do you accept that there will be, quotes failures? I say that in inverted commas because that's what Christine Lagarde, the head of the International Monetary Fund, the eighth most powerful woman in the world, apparently, has come out with. She uh, was ranked eighth uh, by wor- in the world by Forbes magazine. April in Luton is a working mum of one. Good morning, April. Good morning. Now, you- you're set up at home. It's a little bit different, isn't it, from the normal? What- how does it work? Uh, my husband is the at-home dad. Fantastic. I'm already deeply envious of him. How did that come about? Uh, quite simply, uh, when my husband and I first got together, he was earning more than I was. Yeah. And as my career progressed, um, I ended up earning more than he did. 
and he was a subcontractor as well, so his work was never guaranteed. So when it came time to make the decision who was going to look after our son now he'd started at school and nursery and all of those things, yeah. it was just down simple math. I was earning more, I had a full-time job that came with all the benefits that came, so he gave up work. I stayed on working. And how did he react to that? Because I imagine that some men might feel slightly emasculated by that. Was it, did he have any problems? No, I don't think my husband or I have any... I don't think we see the world specifically as a gender thing. Mm. I don't stop doing things just because I'm a girl, and he doesn't stop doing things just because he's a guy. We don't categorise a job, male or female. We just say, it needs doing. Who can do it? I listen, and that's I, how I, we approach life. I totally agree. I've, I have said to my wife, wife, in all seriousness, if she starts earning more than me, I am more than happy to stay at home and be a stay-at-home dad. I would love it. I can't think of anything more magical than being around when the kids are growing up and, be, and being that, that kind of primary influence on them. It sounds fantastic. It, it is, yeah. And in an ideal world, in the ideal situation, I would love not to work at all. I'd mm. love to win the lottery and both of us be at home. That would be... That would be ideal. April, what do you say to, to Christine Lagarde? Do you think that you can have a career and a, a, a family at the same time and, and be successful in both? I think it's very important, no matter if you're male or female. So it's not a gender thing. I think it's very important to get the work-life balance correct because i'm very disappointed when i hear of say men who go out to work in the morning they come home really late and don't get to see their children except at the weekend mm. now that's not at the end of the day the person who that's not fair on is the child the child wants both parents the child needs both parents and so it's the work-life balance needs to be there for the children it's a tough one to to, to get right isn't it but april thank you very much for that there we go um now moving on Wickham Wanderers Football Club have appointed player coach Gareth Ainsworth as caretaker manager following the departure of Gary Waddock. We heard on Monday that Waddock had been sacked after last weekend's defeat. Well, Gareth Ainsworth joins us now live from uh, Adams Park. Good morning, Gareth. Good morning. Was this a surprise, the, the, the events of the last five days? Yeah, of course. Um, it's, uh, you know, there, there was always rumours that, um, that if anything did happen to Gary then uh, then I, I might get a chance but uh being being a friend first of Gary and uh, and obviously one of his coaches and uh, and knowing him for a long time it was uh, it was a you know a gutted that he uh, he had to go but uh, I've been in contact with Gary since and he says take your chance grab it with both hands it's it's your turn See, so. that, I was thinking that must be odd if if you're mates with someone and then you get their job is is there any bad feelings or he's okay with it is he Yeah that's one of the great things about uh, uh, that man you know he's uh, he's a he's a real real top guy and uh, and I'm sure he'll find another club um it was a similar situation at QPR you know Ian Dowie was was very much the same and I think it's football in general you know what football is and uh, it's results based and and I don't think there's any grudges and and I spoke to Gary yesterday and he said look it's your turn. Take, grab this with both hands and give it a right go, and, and I, I hope you do get the job. So he must be gutted that he's gone, though. Of course, yeah. of course, without a doubt. You know, he's a proud man, and he uh, he got us promoted two years ago. Unfortunately, we got relegated last year, and uh, we've had some real bad injuries this year and, and a, a slow start to the season. So, uh, like I say, it's results based, and uh, and Gary knows that, and, and I know that, and, uh, and and that's football in general. I, Gareth, I when you go from being one of the lads to the boss. 
is is it difficult to kind of get that respect? Do you have to kind of take people aside and say, "All right, listen, I know you, you know that we're mates and stuff, but I'm in charge now. Do what I say. Give me a bit of respect." Yeah, without a doubt, you Good. know, it's, uh, it's uh, you've got it spot on. It's always difficult because I was playing with them a couple of years ago. I was I was a teammate. I was I was on the nights out with the lads, the team bonding, and now all of a sudden I'm I'm telling them what to do, telling them what to do my way. But in all fairness, what a good set of lads I've got, and, and what an understanding bunch they are. So they they've took the they've took it on themselves to to you know uh, listen to me and do what I say, and they know that um you know. I'd, I do want to uh, crack at this, and uh, and hopefully with a bit of luck and uh, a bit of hard work, we can get some results. Your caretaker manager, how long does that last for, and is there any chance you get in the gig permanently? Um, I've not been told how long it lasts for. I'm, 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 I was proud just to be a player in my career, but to be captain of Wickham at one stage and now to be uh, to be leading them out and be caretaker, you know, it's uh, it's just a real real proud moment for me. And, and as long as that lasts, I'll do my best. And uh, and the powers upstairs will decide who uh, who they want as manager. If it's me, fantastic. If it's someone else, if I'm still at Wickham, I'll, I'll be giving 100 percent, no matter what capacity I am. Gareth, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. What are you wearing? <laughs> I tell you why, because uh, I, I, listen, I don't know a lot about football, and I think I've managed to bluff my way through this conversation quite well. But yesterday, I, I was told I was getting you on the line, and they said, "Ian, don't worry, he's not your typical football person. He'll, he'll be wearing some outrageous clothes, and it'll look ridiculous, and it'll be a good laugh." So, what are you wearing, Gareth? Do you know what? This morning, I, I, uh, I've actually got changed into my training kit. But this morning, Ow. this morning, you missed a pair of Converse, a pair of skinny jeans, and a rock and roll top. So Th- there you go. You you're know. in a band or something. <laughs> you're playing in a band. Um, I am in a band. Yeah. And there's a there's a charity event coming up, Kendercom at, at Wickham Wanderers on the sixth of October, which is uh, which is raising money for really good causes, and I'm I'm doing a few a few numbers with a band. A few um, numbers. Look at your profession. Yeah, what, what, what do you so, play in the band? Uh, I'm the lead singer. Hey, come on then, give us a <laughs> tune. Come on, total extrovert, no chance. Come, no, Gareth, come on, let's you, do a duet together. You've got to come to Kendercom if you want to see me sing. That's 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 the deal, okay? <laughs> All right. What, what kind of stuff are you going to be singing? Uh, it, oh, I'm a rocker at heart, so uh, anything anything seventies, the Who, the Kinks, the Doors anything like that I'll, uh, I'll do all day but there's a few modern ones in there too and all of the night uh, <laughs> you see what I did there Gareth do you oh, see what I, I did there Gareth you really got me there <laughs> oh man he's such a dedicated follower of fashion Gareth I'll end there I will fade down so I get the last word in uh, and win that that's Gareth Ainsworth uh, who's the caretaker manager at Wickham Wanderers thank you Gareth we should get him in one day not to talk about football just to sing some songs <laughs> I'm not interested in football I just want to see him sing thank you Gareth um, oh look Jonathan Vernon Smith will be on in about six minutes time now Oh, I was sad, sad to hear about this. Tributes are being paid to the singer Andy Williams, who's died at the age of 84, a year after being diagnosed with bladder cancer. He, had, he kind of had like a resurgence about six, seven years ago, didn't he, where he was really uncool and unhip. And then suddenly, that music to watch Girls By became a hit again, and suddenly everyone went, oh yeah, actually, he's pretty darn good. The crooner, who was best known for songs such as Moon River and Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, was diagnosed with bladder cancer a year ago. Adrian Paul was his sound engineer on a UK tour that Andy did in the 80s. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Sad news. Uh, What was Andy Williams like to work with? He came across as such a gentleman. Was he like that in real life or was he a, a bit of a rock and roller? No, he wasn't a rock and roller. He was definitely the uh, the cardigan man uh, that you saw on stage. He was uh, very reserved, very quiet, and very kind. Mm. When, when did you work with him? 
in about 1982, we did a tour of the UK, and um, we started, I think we started in uh, Wolverhampton, and we ended up in London at the Barbican Theatre. Fantastic. A great theatre for, for a concert like that. And how, how popular was he? I mean, he's kind of had this thing where he's gone in and out of fashion more times than you can imagine, but he's always had that, that hardcore fan base, hasn't he? That's right. He he did. He had a very loyal fan, in fact. Um, one that he would allow to come into the dressing room and have a cup of tea with him. Really? Uh, most of the venues. Uh, indeed, yeah. How he cool was, is that? Well, she was, she was like a number one fan, and um, he, he, re- he realised that, and he realised the effort that she went to, 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 to do what she did. Did you ever keep in touch with him? Was it just that tour that you no, were I, I was. It was a, pretty, uh, a professional basis, and um, it's always best to keep it like that. And did he, because you, you get, I, I've seen some uh, uh, singers and performers who are very dismissive of their temporary road crews, you know. It's, they don't bother learning names, they don't even really talk to them unless they have to. Was he like that, or did he make a point of coming and saying hello to all of you? He would say hello, but in a kind of polite way, yeah. and um, he'd let us get on with our jobs, and um, we were obviously very busy because it was a tour. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was great, and at the end of one for that particular tour he and i have to say this is it's the only time it ever happened he actually gave me a tip and i found that quite endearing to be honest he, wait, a financial tip that's right he gave me a little brown envelope with <laughs> money in it am i allowed to ask how much he gave he gave me 200 pounds Blimey! I thought you were going to say... I've got a tax man after me now, haven't I? No, 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 no. In 1982, that was worth like a million. I thought you were going to say like 20 quid. (laughs) He gave you 200 No, no, he gave me... Yes, he did, yeah. Well, I think... I think that's unheard of in in popular entertainment. That's incredible. It is indeed, and I've worked with some of his contemporaries as well, and... um, They're all too tight. Well, I got an ill-fitting jumper once. (laughs) Who was that from? I can't tell you. (laughs) And I also got some bad art as well, but I won't tell you that one either. (laughs) I could talk to you for ages. Very quickly, Adrian, uh, your, your favourite Andy Williams song? Well, I think it's um, the, the girls' one. The girls Music watching. to watch girls, but... Oh, it's crack, yeah. classic, absolutely classic. Adrian, thank you so much. Really interesting. Thanks for your stories. You're welcome. And uh, Adrian Paul, sound engineer, who worked with Andy Williams and got a £200 tip. Imagine that, Mr Williams comes over and, uh, uh, and gives you a little brown envelope. You think, what on earth is this? Uh, we were talking earlier on about Christine Lagarde, the head of the IMF, who said that you cannot be a good mother and have a successful career. Um, t- Twitter has been ablaze with this. Uh, Beth Hart says, oh yeah, but these working dads are doing a mighty fine job, right? Um, th- thingy uh, on Twitter says, yeah, Christine Lagarde is one of David Icke's lizard people and a bit of a twit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mummy Barrow is furious and has used a string of expletives. Uh, of course you can have a career and happy kids. Uh, and Jamie Walsh says, and this kind of makes sense, I suppose, working hard and setting a good example for your child is terrible. I agree. It's better to just teach them the benefit system. Well, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be carrying on uh, this conversation a little bit later on, and you can have your say. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give him a call. Thank you to everyone who took part and got through our slight technical problems of having no text or emails. It's, all, it's nicer to have your phone calls anyway, isn't it? It's much better to talk. Uh, I should be back tomorrow at 6 o'clock, but do stick around, because coming up uh, in a very short time... Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I'm hoping we hear more about Roy and his battery later on. Fingers crossed. Till then, ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, thank you, Ian.